0: This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out of hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of EMS 2020. It may not be just another episode of EMS 2020. Actually, this might be the episode of EMS 2020 uh, because today we have someone, uh, someone special with us. We have the amazing. Oh, it's so nice of you to introduce me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah shucks! Yeah, I I swear to God, Spencer, I will, I will, I will shut you down, and then everyone will know. Uh, But uh, we have Nicole Johnson from the Found Down Podcast. Nicole, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm great. I'm so stoked to be here. By the way, just mad props. We
0: are so stoked to have you. Uh, So, if you guys, we really are. Yeah, Yeah. if you guys don't know Nicole Johnson, uh, that's kind of your problem to fix, Uh, because uh, Nicole. (laughs) I should be friendlier to the people who have like no reason to really listen to us. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Nicole Johnson is the host of the amazing podcast. It's the found down podcast and what she does on that uh, podcast. She interviews a new healthcare provider just about every week. Uh, she has nurses, respiratory therapists, doctors, even a flight paramedic. That's right. There is a, uh, there's a Chris Fingston episode on the found down podcast. Um, Assume we'll get a robot Spencer episode, maybe. I don't know, uh, but <laughs> coming soon. Uh, exactly. There you go. Um, it's uh, really addicting, and she talks to all these different professions with all these different perspectives on things. And it's not just about what they do as a healthcare provider. Of course, that's a big part of it, but it's about how they are as a person often especially during the times of the pandemic and that is kind of when i ended up getting on the show because we got to really hear how everyone from around uh from around the industry was doing during this pandemic and i will tell you one episode that uh well a lot of episodes just got me absolutely hooked but there's one that uh, i've got to recommend uh it's an episode where you interview a nurse turned attorney and that was amazing and insightful for me because I've always wondered exactly how can I get sued? And it turns mm-hmm. out uh, there are ways um, or at least I could help other people get sued. And I think about all the things I put in my chart that maybe I definitely should not have put in my chart. <laughs> so.
1: Right. right. That's with um niece Williams. She's at your nurse lawyer on Instagram. Just by the way.
0: Perfect. Oh, nice. Yeah, amazing go- woman. Go check her out and check out, check out that episode. Check out all the episodes, by the way. So, uh, Nicole, thanks again so much for joining us on today's episode. So normally we do episodes like, uh, you know, Spencer brings them in cold and then you kind of guys get, you guys get to see me struggle through them. Uh, this one, not so much. Both Spencer and I kind of cracked into this one because it has some stuff, some vital signs that end up, uh, becoming a big player and, they're out of whack. I mean, and we weren't really sure what was going on and we wanted to bring in an ICU nurse. And so how long have you been an ICU nurse for uh, for Nicole? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just a, you know, a little yeah. bit. So a little tiny bit, bit. A little bit past the first day. <laughs> right. You're right. out of the what is uh I'm just really curious, like what is uh cause you know, we interact with uh ER nurses. Um, a ton. We interact with them um, all the time. Have oh, you, yeah. Have you ever worked with uh, in the emergency room um, or have you been a, like I, like day one ICU nurse?
1: Um, so, I started fresh in the ICU, although I was for a while um, a, st- a stat nurse, so a rapid response nurse, you know, cool. and so occasionally I would go down into the emergency room and hang out and, and hear <laughs> things and I'm probably like, you know, it's probably you guys can, trying to communicate into, into the emergency room, like, what's going on and what's, ha- what's happening and wh- who's coming in and stuff. But yeah, that's a world that is a little out of my realm. But, uh, yeah.
0: ICU is where my home base, for sure. If we have a critical patient, they go to the ICU. If they if we have done our jobs correctly, the best case scenario is they wind up in your care before they mm-hmm. get um, discharged. And so this is such a perfect fit for our show because we always talk about follow-up, what happens down the road. And so we're so glad to have you on uh, today. So thanks again for coming. And uh, everybody, go check out the Found Down podcast. Uh, you're on everything, right? You're on uh, iTunes. I'm
1: not on. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I am everywhere. I, no, the
0: podcast is everywhere. <laughs> yes, the, yeah, the podcast is everywhere. You can you can listen to that uh, wherever you listen to uh, to your podcast, and it is amazing. So let's kind of get right into our general housekeeping. Social media. You can follow us on social media. EMS twenty twenty. That's what we are on Facebook. EMS twenty twenty show on Instagram. And if you want your call to be evaluated on this show and let us kind of pick it apart and give. You a cool nickname or maybe a not cool nickname uh ems 2020 podcast at gmail.com is where you should send those submissions also don't forget check out guardiancme.com you can get free continuing education for guardian cme just for listening to our podcast and the national registry for paramedics and emts and most people listen to this show have decided that it's totally cool to get as many hours as you want online it's no longer capped at 35 hours so You can get all those hours for free at guardiancme.com. You can get some of them just from listening to our show. Uh, also, if you want to directly support the show, please take time and visit our uh, merch store. It's uh, Public. The links for that are going to be in the bio for both our Facebook and our Instagram uh, accounts. And you can go there. You can buy t-shirts, mugs, all sorts of kind of fun stuff uh, with the EMS 2020 logo. And hopefully some new designs are going to be really soon, if not already by the time this episode airs. So there be other stuff to go get. That money goes directly to us, and it really does help to support the show. Uh, so, with that... I think we can kind of get right into it if everybody's
2: ready. You guys ready? Yes. All right. Yeah. Hey. And, uh, just to be clear, everyone on this, everyone in this episode, we've, we actually have all kind of talked about this story a little bit. So I, yeah. I of course know the most, but, uh, I, you know, I, we all know a little bit about, uh, what's going on here. Yeah. But you guys don't
0: usually coming into it a little bit cold, but this time uh, I'm a little more in the know just because basically yeah.
2: neither Spencer or I had a good answer for what the hell is going on. Yeah. So here we go. Uh, Let's get into the story so that you guys, the listeners can also be in the know. All right. So we'll start with the perspective who is telling us the story. So today's call comes to us from a paramedic that I've dubbed rock. Rock has been in EMS for about five years and uh, with a total of like one and a half years of that uh, as a full time paramedic for a transporting fire agency. Uh, they are working on the rescue today, which I'm told is the fire ambulance. Uh, and they have a partner who is basically got the exact same amount of experience that they do. Uh, in fact, they actually went to paramedic school together. So uh, their partner is dubbed Scissor's. And they will be working with a fire department crew of paramedics, all of whom have about like eight to 10 years of experience. Uh, And so those guys are now paper shoe and um, bill. All right, so let's talk about the system uh, that these players are working in. So again, these are working for a transporting fire agency. This service has three stations in their area, with the station that uh, Rock works out of being located in a suburb of the city. Uh, they have four ambulances on during the day, three on at night. Rock says they run about 6,000 calls a year, averaging about three to four calls a day in a 24-hour shift. They do work mostly with other paramedics, but occasionally there are other levels that they will work with. Uh, they have two hospitals in their area. I'm going to go light on these because they don't really play a factor into today's call, but they have a level one trauma center and a level two trauma center, all of which are about a 20-minute drive away. Um one of the things that rock did say uh, is that there tends to be a really good focus on medicine at their service. Um, and, and a lot of that is, you know, a lot of the medics work for other, like a nearby private um, ambulance agency, a lot of double, uh, you know. double dippers. Yeah. You know, like uh, you want to make a, <laughs> you want to make a living as a paramedic. That's you work <laughs> everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. You can man. make, a good... Oh, people always <laughs> ask, yeah, it's always like, how much money do you make as a paramedic? It's like, it just depends on how many jobs you want, man.
2: Yeah, right. right? Yeah.
1: yeah. For the amount of responsibility that you have in the for the for the people there on scene in the ambulance, like that's a lot of responsibility. I feel like you should be paid accordingly.
2: You know what? You're not alone in your sentiments. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Uh, You won't find many of us disagreeing. No. No. All right. So let's move on to the call. All right. So it's fourteen forty-eight. 49 p.m. And the ambulance crew of Rock and Scissors is tapped to respond to a cardiac arrest at a skilled nursing facility. <clears throat> so the crew is actually out of the station so they could get some supplies, um, but they just divert to the call from wherever they're at, and the engine from their station is tapped to respond as well. Now, originally, they were dispatched to an 87 year old female reported to be in cardiac arrest at this skilled nursing facility, but as they're heading that way, lights and sirens, they get the following update. Uh, the patient is now unconscious with vitals stable. Huh. Um, okay. Heads up. Patient just got a second COVID vaccine and patient is a full code. Uh, full code, meaning d- d- like there's DNR levels, uh, you know, like DNR is like, do not resuscitate if they don't have, if they're not breathing or if they have mm-hmm. a pulse. And then there's like eh, limited intervention. Full code means like, hey, do all the things.
0: Yeah. Be be the hero. Do the cricum, whatever you need to do. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Essentially- I mean, don't crack them
0: for fun. You don't have to crank them. Like, that's not a requirement <laughs> of the full code. Like, if you walk in.
1: No, just push on my chest. Push on my chest. Break my ribs.
0: Prophylactic chest compressions. You're yeah. going to die eventually. If I start now, it'll probably be okay.
2: <laughs> but based on, this, based on the dispatch information they have, it's like, hey, it might be a cardiac arrest, or it might be like, well, uh, everything's fine here. How are you? So... <laughs> It's only a six minute drive and with the varied updates, when the crew arrive, they're kind of like, hey, what should we bring into this call? And they settle on, fuck it, let's just bring all the stuff we'd bring in for a code, which I think is a good move. And we've the, talked uh, about that, yeah.
0: yeah, like on this show before, we've had Dr. Seitz uh, from uh come on here, and he's noticed that our calls that that go bad, it's usually because someone's like, yeah, we don't need to bring that kid in today, and then they get there and they're like, we should have really brought that kid in, and now we're, you know, down the rabbit hole of some faci- monolithic facility, there's a minotaur that runs by, then you gotta go <laughs> back and get your kid. <laughs> so, good on them for bringing all the kids in, I like yeah. this already.
2: All right. So as they arrive, they grab all their gear, which for this call consists of a portable suction unit, their first out bag, a cardiac monitor, an O2 bag and a backboard. And by the way, their first out bag has like their vital equipment, IV stuff, I gels, IO, intubation stuff, first line medications, you know, that sort of thing. CBG so, kit. Exactly. So they enter the door of the facility as they as like the in, responding fire engine pulls in behind them. Uh, And by the way, the fire truck has a Lucas device, which for those who don't know uh, what that is, it's basically a device that performs chest compressions for CPR so that you don't have to. It's a firefighter named Lucas. (laughs) That's right. It's just a really strong. (laughs) Thanks, Lucas. Yeah. (laughs) Nailing it, buddy. (laughs) Trunk monkey. Go. All right. Now, normally the rule in EMS is this the patient at any facility you go to will be located in whatever room is the most inconvenient and farthest away from you. That's actually uh, a rule. It is. That is a 100% rule. You'll ask a staff member where the, like, Hey, uh, we need to go to room like three eighty four, And they'll be like, okay, what you need to do is you need to like go down this main hallway, take a second left, get into that elevator, mm-hmm. take that elevator up to the sun, cent- like to that second floor. By the way, you'll have to dismantle your entire fucking stretcher to get it in that elevator. But you know, You'll figure it out. Then you get out on the second floor, take another elevator up to the third floor, take a left, follow that down till you get past a small table with a puzzle that no one has worked on since Bob died three fucking years ago. Take a right, go down that hall until you find a wardrobe, enter the wardrobe, find yourself in the magical world of Narnia, where there's an endless winter. Excessively the witch queen for you. And claim the throne. And then, by the way, the patient's door will appear. That's the rule. That, but in wow. this situation, Rock and scissors get lucky. The patient's room is actually very close to the entrance. So they don't have to do any of that. They just go in and they find a five foot four. That's 162 centimeter. Uh, and 120 pound patient or about 54 kilograms. Uh, 87 year old female who is laying in a low Fowler's position in a bed with three staff members in the room. The patient appears to be resting with their eyes closed and has a nasal cannula in her nose. At least it's in her nose. Right. <laughs> all right. So scissors talks to the two nursing staff members by the door. Well, rock kind of moves past them and goes right to the patient's side. The report they get is as follows. Uh, this is a new patient. Okay. She, uh, came in for, yeah, that's always, so, how sometimes it starts, that but...
0: is all it is. Yeah. This is new patient yeah. I just got on uh, two minutes ago. Uh, the doctor wants him to be seen somewhere and you're like, okay. Uh, Great. Don't, don't, know don't know anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah, that happens super, super frequently. And I try not to blame the staff. I I understand that a lot of these facilities uh, put, uh, unfortunately, put uh, nurses uh, in positions to where it's hard to succeed. I I
2: do understand that. Yeah. Oh, you can't keep track of the 60 patients that you're like overseeing? Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah.
0: Mm. Strange. What's your problem? (laughs) (laughs)
2: meanwhile i drop off at a dd they're like oh what's this patient's name and i'm like oh oh (laughs) god oh shit you're like what
0: i've been calling him sam the entire time they seem to respond to that but they have dementia so
2: All right. So the report they get is this. This is a relatively new patient to the facility. Uh, They're actually they came into this facility for physical therapy and occupational therapy, secondary to a humeral fracture of their right arm. Okay. Uh, the patient was actually out because they recently returned from getting their second covid vaccine. And the nurse staff there say about 20 minutes ago when she got back to the facility, she was described by staff as normal, which, by the way, for clarification means GCS 15, like moving about. Okay. Um, so she was brought back into her room uh, on arrival. And when the staff came in to check on her a, quote, few minutes ago, they noted that she was unresponsive. And so they called 911. The staff did place her on a six liter per minute nasal cannula because they report that her saturations were low and that increased to 94 percent. And no, we don't know how low they went. That was that
0: was my question. Sorry. There you go. Answered.
2: So Rock reports that the staff were really just overall pretty unfamiliar with the patient and just did not have a whole lot of information aside from that. So what they do is they do an assessment. And here's what that reveals. The patient is resting with their eyes closed in a low fowler position in bed. The patient will briefly open their eyes and maybe mumble or moan to like kind of a painful stimuli, but otherwise doesn't give any kind of comprehensive or coherent response. So -hmm. they think the patient's kind of talking to them, but they're not really sure what the patient's saying or if they're really saying anything. The patient's skin is described as pink, warm, dry, though Rock says that it's possible that she may have been a little on the pale side in retrospect. The patient's airway is patent. She's reported by Rock to be breathing at a rate of about 15 per minute with possibly shallow breaths. Uh, the patient does have a radial pulse, which they report is in the 80s. And really two things stick out from Rock with the assessment. The patient's right arm is completely discolored from about the elbow down, and it's mm. described as like like a patchy kind of black and blue. Um, and by the way, that's the arm that the patient that's the arm that the patient had surgery on. Okay. Um, I I did ask if they double checked like that there was a radial pulse in that uh, arm, and Rock says like they can't remember. But they felt like they really, like, they felt like they did, and they don't recall any abnormalities. Um, they did note that there like, one of the things that was concerning to them was that there was none of the yellowing that they'd expect to see with bruising. But my thought here is this might be too soon to see those signs, because those usually start between, like, five to ten days uh, from some of the Googling I did. So, okay, gotcha.
0: First, like, man, he, he's nailing this. Oh, there it is. Google.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the second detail that stood out to rock was that the patient has equal pinpoint pupils oh. um, and the rest of the z- exam was unremarkable a
0: really quick cool question J- just to help me out and both of you may laugh at me this is totally fine i just want to kind uh fowler's position that's like kind of semi-sitting right like laying down but head elevated
2: so low fowler's is a uh, like um hmm, like a what do you think like a 30 like a degree chair? angle like 30 yeah,
1: yeah like 30 degrees and then like high followers is probably like 45 to 60 okay yeah.
0: gotcha but uh but legs legs are are elevated right like like they're in a bed and like the head's up so, yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. they're
2: like flat and chest is up yeah beach chair is actually a great why did why have i never thought of beach? why chair don't they anymore?
0: call it the beach chair position i wouldn't even have to ask oh what? my it been, god i'd have been set could you imagine, like, giving that radio report? Yeah, we found the patient in beach chair position. And I'm sorry, what? What did you say? Uh, beach chair? <laughs> anyway.
1: Well, it's so weird, actually. In the hospital where I work, we do these... Um deep flap surgeries where these women get like breast augmentation and uh, they take their tissue from their abdomen and put it in their breasts and anyway they yeah. have to be in this like beach they call it the beach chair position where they're like like they're flat but their heads up a little bit and their knees are up a tiny bit so they're just chilling in the beach chair position with like a bear hugger on them
2: that is like the perfect description though and of course you know the the hat the rimmed <laughs> hat with the mai tai oh. and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. little sunscreen on the nose. Absolutely. I got to go to that ICU. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Hey, it's a pandemic, but who says we can't have fun?
2: <laughs> All right. So vitals, by the way, to go along with this assessment, are heart rates in the 80s. Uh, Rock recalls a systolic blood pressure of 110, and they didn't have vitals uh, Able, they were able to recall. So, this is once again kind of like a gray vital area. Okay. A gray vital story for some of this here. Uh, they report respirations are again 15 a minute. SPO2 is 96% on six liters per minute nasal cannula. And the CBG slash BGL was normal. Um, and in m- millimoles, by the way, that would be normal divided by 18, which is, hold on, 4.05 millimoles.
0: Okay. Good job.
2: Yeah. How'd you get to that again? Okay. So what I did was I applied a numerical value to the alphabet. So the N is worth 14. The O is worth 15. The R is 18. The M 13 and the A is one. Oh, and the L is 12, which when you add them all together equals 73. Okay. In the normal range. And then if you divide 73 by 18, you get 4.05 millimoles, which also falls within the uh, normal range. Okay. So, so yeah, to you're su- welcome.
0: So, so to summarize, We don't know what the CBG is, but it's normal.
2: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Gotcha. All right, fine. You don't want to do my normal math. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I I know. I I don't want to do your made up CBG math. No, you're right.
2: (laughs) I'm going to skip it.
1: At least I checked it. Right? Yes.
2: Exactly. Oh, there's the dig. That's, Sorry. <laughs> is, oh, is, is no, you, are, you are
0: welcome on the show at, at any given moment. Like, that's because you dropped that right there. I just made
2: like this entire recording. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, right. Spencer. What I'm excited for is when somebody does the math on, like, they're like, you know what? I'm going to double check Spencer's math on the alphanumeric values that he's done. And they'll be like, actually, also, you were wrong. Yeah, because it'll happen. <laughs> we could check on oh, awesome. the
0: weirdest stuff.
2: I love it. (laughs) All right. So, Rock decides at this point that they just want to move the patient to the ambulance to do further care. The field diagnosis that they've settled on, based on their findings, is that this patient is probably on pain medication, and they have probably overdosed. Um, And here's why. The patient's here to recover from surgery, which means they likely are being prescribed narcotic pain medication, and they have pinpoint pupils plus an altered mental status. And they don't see any reason to stay on scene with the patient at this facility – especially since the facility staff aren't really able to give more context or information. Okay. So they're thinking of so, just kind of pushing off and getting going. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We've got, we got a stable patient who's going to go to the hospital. Let's just get going. Gotcha. Um, and we can do more treatments en route. So the patient is moved via sheet transfer to their EMS stretcher. The crew switches the nasal cannula O2 source for their own bottle and drop it down to four liters a minute. And then they depart the room to the ambulance, which is, again, a 50-foot trip
0: okay so let me kind of recap a little bit about what we have so we have someone who essentially appearing to me at this point looks like an altered mental status patient we do know that there was an incident of low sao2 but they put an nasal cannula in the nose as you stated which is fantastic uh and that seems to have essentially corrected the sao2 because our sao2 value was like what 96 percent uh yes yeah ninety six percent I am still a little bit concerned about ninety six percent when you're receiving supplemental oxygen so my next questions are going to come like what is the past medical history of this patient like meds and allergies because like I would be worried about like if, if they're like a lifelong like COPD ninety six percent on a nasal cannula I mean that's not that's not a crazy number but ninety six percent on someone with no pulmonary disease whatsoever with supplemental oxygen. That piques my interest. Why? Why do you need supplemental oxygen mm-hmm. to get a midline? A, you know, should be yeah. getting an A plus with supplemental oxygen if you don't have any pulmonary problems.
2: That's all yeah, I'm saying. valid point. So, yeah. So, yeah. Rock isn't sure about this part because I asked um, and granted this call did take place over a year ago. So essentially we have two possibilities here. Uh, the first one is the crew left without asking for paperwork and the staff failed to give them paperwork. Uh, the second possibility is that the crew were handed paperwork, but it didn't have any of the details that usually come in the packet. Uh, Rock isn't sure which one of this was the cause, but ultimately it doesn't matter because the outcome's the same. We don't know the patient's, they, like they didn't know the patient's history and so we don't get to either. Okay. So, the patients loaded into the ambulance. Rock, paper, scissors, shoe, and bill all jump in as well. And the first thing Rock notices is that the patient is no longer moaning when they, like, talk or interact with her. Hmm. So, the patient's ha- mentation has decreased from moaning with, like, verbal pain stimuli to now just unresponsive. Oh, that's the wrong way to go on the Apu scale. Mm-hmm. Heart rate's in the 80s. Blood pressure is 110 systolic. Respirations are now reported to be 10 to 12 per minute. But Rock says that they were odd. There would be kind of quick, large breaths, apnea, a quick, large breath, apnea. So just this weird sort of rhythm. Um, like biots breathing or? That's sort of what I kind of got from it. It was huh. just this sort of like the afib of breathing pattern. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of chaotic.
1: Mm, um, I don't like it.
2: Doesn't sound um, good. Like, I don't know what yeah. this is, but uh, it's yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, SpO2 in the ambulance is now 88% on the four liters per minute nasal cannula, and they have connected the uh, their cannula to their end CO2 device and rock recalls seeing the number around 50. Uh, so 50 millimeters of mercury. Um and Rock isn't really worried yet uh, cuz they have a plan and these findings the high entitled CO2 and low SAO, you know low low SPO2 they, they make sense in the context of a possible overdose um so that's sort of where their mind's at okay and I'm sorry really
0: quick you, you might have said this um what was the ETCO2 at this point again 50 uh, AC, yeah 50 I'm sorry, etCO2. I don't know what I said, but uh, the the way you the way you came back at me was kind of like you said something wrong.
2: So no, I uh, I struggled over I struggled trying to say
0: the word too. <laughs> words are hard, which is a great difficulty to have when you have a podcast. Uh, so <laughs> all right, exactly. so co 2 is currently about fifty via nasal cannula reader. All right, copy that. Um, yeah, so uh, quick aside, uh, ETCO2 measures the carbon dioxide that's exhaled during each breath. So the process of metabolism generates CO2 which your blood then circulates back to your lungs to breathe off. And so normally we want this to be around 35 to 45. So uh,
2: 50 is is a bit on the high side. Exactly. Uh, the team now take a divide and conquer approach in the ambulance. So one team member establishes IV access. while another knocks out a quick 12 lead. Uh, we don't get to see that 12 lead, but I was told it was unremarkable. Uh, one crew member probably shoe because shoe gets shit done places a non-rebreather mask on the patient and starts the patient on 15 liters per minute of you oxygen. should be calling him boot <laughs> nice yeah you know what that is that is what it is now it's shoe is now. now boot nice perfect sweet yeah. or crock all right your choice good job boot mm, boot yeah <laughs> it's not gonna be croc. Croc. Is, croc is dangerous with how i'm struggling with the words man <laughs> all right that's all right fair boot <laughs> oh man it is <laughs> So (laughs) once ready, rock draws up and administers 0.5 milligrams of Narcan to administer IV to the patient. They do so and there's no effect. Mm. So they decide, well, let's just give the patient the rest of the Narcan, bringing the total that was given to the patient up to two milligrams. Um, And shortly after that, a BVM is pulled out because the patient's respirations have now decreased to agonal.
0: Oh, not good. Yeah. yeah. Boy, there's a lot of wrong directions for vital signs in this one. First, the alert scale goes from goes unresponsive. Now respirations go from weird to agonal. That's a that's a bad direction. Absolutely. I'm trying to die. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Making an active effort of not being here anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, rock, paper, scissor, boot, and Bill are in a tough spot because this was not the twist that they were expecting. They don't know why the patient isn't approving. And now there's discussion about, do we need to intubate this patient? Rock doesn't want to. They feel they might be overlooking some easier solution, but they can't think of what that could be. And so they kind of feel like they have to intubate the patient at this point. So Chris, Nicole, here you are. You guys are hanging out with uh, rock, paper, scissors, boot, and bill. They want to intubate this patient uh, with some hesitation, what do you guys want to do given the details we have so far?
0: Oh, man. Nicole, where are you at? I, I think I think I know what I want to do, but I'm also heavy-handed sometimes. So I know what I want to do. What do you want to do?
1: I want to intubate this patient. This patient looks like they are not breathing. They're not moving air, right? They're yeah. hypoventilating. They're actually agonal. We know that agonal breathing is... Uh, not good,
0: Not you're not actually breathing when you have agonal breaths, so intubation is the way to go. Oh, I, I 100% agree. I always like to get other people's opinions, though, because I'll be like, let's intubate! They're like, Chris, it's a dialysis transfer, we we're probably okay to, <laughs> to intubate the patient. <laughs> <laughs> or we're taking them to the ER to change their catheter because the facility can't do it. You know, like that's <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I guess the things that are going through my head right now that could be wrong. Um, um, I think Narcan was appropriate given the pupil size, like could be narcotics that are there. I would be really curious. Again, I know we don't have it, but the past medical history, like do they have access to narcotics in the first place? Like they're in a facility. Where are they getting them? That kind of stuff. Um, you know, is, is it a prescribed medication, maybe they double dosed? whatever but uh i thought that was fine it didn't really do anything for them but the other thing that i'm thinking of is we have a recent uh humeral fracture and anytime you have any kind of like bone fracture especially if there's going to be some surgery involved uh i worry about clots and we've got this weird freaking breathing thing going on right like that's Mm -hmm. bizarre and if it is biots and i i am decently sure that biots is an indication of like a CBA or some sort of intracranial problem, some sort of uh, you have some sort of uh, ischemia going on uh, in the brain. And I am just worried that we have some kind of neurological dysfunction and this whole thing is going to go downhill. And I think getting control of the airway now is just kind of where we need to be. And so 100% on board with Nicole's assessment of... Go ahead and innovate this patient because i don't see i know they're looking for like hey what's the simple thing we missed but like right now given what they have like i, I don't think it's a simple thing i think this patient's kind of kind of in for it so that's right yeah. that's where i feel we're at
1: and I, my my sort of on. take most of the time is okay what's going to kill them sorry what you act on what's going to kill them first so 100%. what's going to kill them first
2: yeah yeah 100 percent. Yeah, I'd say, like, if there were more things that they hadn't assessed yet, like if they hadn't, you know, assessed a blood sugar, if they Mm -hmm. hadn't looked at pupils or, you know, something along those lines, like it might be worth checking those out. But to my knowledge they have kind of done the easy reversible fixes so this is one thing where it's like yeah i think you got to commit to doing the intubation
0: yeah and this is kind of fun because this this is actually a hard point that a lot of paramedics will get up to in the field nicole you had brought up earlier that we are responsible you know like for a lot um and this is kind of that this is kind of what it really means to be a paramedic right here is that sooner or later you have to make that decision where there's an inherent risk with intubation especially if it goes bad We all know that like we don't want innovation to go bad. And so we really have to like if we're going to do it in the field where it's just us, uh, we really have to. We really want to be sure. And so this is actually a very common sticking point that paramedics will get to is they'll get kind of right up to this line of, okay, should I innovate or not? And they want to find any reason to not have to do it. And so that's totally common. But I think in this case. It's got to be done.
1: If they did wait. She would declare herself. then you would be working the acls algorithm for probably PEA arrest for
0: Uh, yeah yeah so that is a good point yeah if you wait it'll be super obvious what you should do uh but hopefully hopefully we don't uh, have to get there um but uh anyway awesome
2: so yeah cool all right well let's talk about what they did so the five people in the ambulance divide up the work to rsi I don't know the division of labor exactly, but we do know that they utilize an RSI checklist in this system, which by the way, is great. Um, they use a high angle video laryngoscope. The medications that they're going to use are fentanyl and ketamine and the paralytic that they would use is sucks. Um, they know, we know they have their suction ready. They position the patient appropriately to get that like ear to sternal notch, uh, positioning. Um, they are monitoring the vitals. Vitals prior to intubation are basically unchanged. The patient's heart rate remains in the 80s. The blood pressure is still reported to be in the 110 systolic. And now the patient's respirations are agonal. Um, And she's being one-person BVM'd with high-flow O2. Despite the BVMing, she remains at like 88, 90-ish. Uh, and they cannot seem to get the saturations higher. So, hmm. they decide we got to start this process. They premedicate with two micrograms per kilogram of fentanyl, um, which rock said, he's like, I know the Narcan probably like the Narcan might make that ineffective, but, Oh, you know, you know that still, is a good
0: point. I wonder. Yeah. yeah. Hmm.
1: It's short acting though. It's very short acting.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, that is true. I don't know that. Yeah. boy, but, but it is something That's to think a about. great point. Yeah. Um. Followed by two milligrams per kilogram of ketamine. Now, Here's an interesting thing. Rock reports that they decide to just try to intubate the patient after the effects of ketamine were noted, um, but that the like, patient's gag reflex was still intact. So they decide, eh, you know what, we're going to abandon this attempt. So
0: did they use a paralytic? You said that they that if they were to use one, it would be sucks. But did they actually use one or no?
2: Yeah. So in this first attempt, they wanted to try ketamine only. And, and here's the rationale okay. that like rock provided for this. They, essentially, they said like, hey, if you can avoid sucks, then that's probably a good idea because they're in their mind like sucks and is a bad drug. Huh, and okay. what I what we mean by that is like sucks and has a lot of contraindications, um, you know, like it can make patient it can exacerbate somebody if they have like hyperkalemia um, as an underlying thing. Um and, and so they really kind of want to avoid that just in the absence of like knowing the patient's history mm-hmm. um th- they also feel like hey ketamine preserves res- you know like respirations so you can have somebody who's uh disassociated but is still breathing um, sure. and they thought that that might be a you know a good thing and then they really kind of like in paramedic school they learned like hey don't paralyze if you don't have to um and I want to touch on all this at the end uh, because this is sort of a pretty interesting topic of discussion, uh, but I don't want to, like, pull us all out of the story. Oh, yeah, because I already know the rabbit hole I want to dive down with this one.
0: (laughs) I do have one question. Do they have other paralytics aside from succinylcholine or do they just carry the one?
2: I believe it's just succinylcholine, but okay. I I can't recall at this point. So um, quick,
0: quick but, tangent. Yeah. Of course, of course, we hear at uh, EMS 2020, I always recommend that you do what your medical director says, not what we say, because trust me, EMS 2020 said to do it is not defensible in court. But um, <laughs> what I would say is that when it comes to succinylcholine. We often like to use it because it's a quick on quick off paralytic and you can often see I, I personally like that reason because then I can see like uh, do I have my patient adequately sedated because remember these mm. paralytics they don't do anything for the level of consciousness for the patient and so they could be perceiving everything you're doing while under these paralytics and the nice thing about succinyl colon is it doesn't last very long. So if they're not adequately sedated you'll find out really quick. But here's the other thing though it's quick on effect isn't by a large margin compared to like Vecuronium or Rocuronium. Those are both drugs that are, I want to say it's like the one to two minute range versus sucks is like the 30 seconds to one minute range. So, you know, really, I mean, sucks has a lot of contraindications and it has some benefits to it. But if you really need to paralyze somebody, uh, going to another drug like Vec or rock, as long as you make sure you follow it up with like a Tom or some kind of sedative. So you don't torture somebody. Um, are totally viable options that clinically are going to have very similar benefits. So anyway, I will yeah. I will
2: turn that part of my brain off for a little bit until later. <laughs> Perfect. Well, these guys uh succinylcholine is drawn up at this point and administered to the patient while BVMing briefly resumes. Uh scissors is up next for the intubation attempt and after the fasciculations uh, uh subside, they go in. Um and This is described as a like incredibly difficult intubation. This patient is very anterior and it takes like multiple providers kind of like looking at the video screen, offering suggestions like, oh, (laughs) go that way. Like maybe maybe intubation by committee. That's awesome. That's fun. (laughs) All right. Oh, there's a wardrobe. Go into the wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) No,
1: (laughs) you'll find Narnia. Exactly.
2: (laughs) Narnia is between the vocal cords. Yeah. Rock says that they kept an eye on the monitor during the attempt and they don't recall any changes in vitals. Um, ultimately scissors is able to pass the tube through the cords and they secure it. It's a 7.0 tube and it gets secured with a tube tamer device. Uh, waveform capnography and title CO2 plug is attached to the end of it. And lung sounds are aus- auscultated and noted to be present and equal and importantly absent over the epigastrium. Now, this is where things get interesting. The patient's end CO2 comes back at 99 millimeters of mercury, Basically, what they're describing is that the entire lower end two like end CO two screen on their monitor is just pure gold. Mm-hmm. None of the crew note any respiratory waveforms with BVMing, and appropriate concern ensues.
0: So, I want to point out really quick. I had to ask this question when Spence and I were going over this together, um, and Spence did clarify. Um, so, first of all, when we say it's pure gold, we're not talking like it's great because that's normally what I say when <laughs> something's pure gold. Like these cinnamon rolls are pure gold. These are not cinnamon rolls here. Uh, So what this is, uh, and I'd asked Spence, I was like, hey, like when they say 99, like it's like 99, but then like lower during inhalation, right? Because the ETCO2, that's your exhalation. And then Spence told me, no, it's not. It's 99 constantly. Like, it's just there, there doesn't even you can't even see the inhalation, exhalation phase on this thing. It's just a constant bar that just that's gold and pegged at ninety nine. Um, mm. Correct, Spence? Yeah.
2: Yeah. My gotcha. understanding <laughs> is this appears to be just sort of the upper limit of what their monitor will report. Uh, it's gotcha. essentially the equivalent of like a high reading from a like CBG monitor. Yeah, uh, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's above this. I just want and to replace it with
0: like the shruggy shoulders emoji. I think yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, like if you look at your monitor, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh,
2: it's bad. Uh- <laughs> yeah. As I said, the crew is concerned. There is initially like the big concern is like, oh my God, do we have an airway? Is it patent? Is the ET tube actually in the right spot? Or is this just like some kind of, you know, weird monitor alarm that's saying like, yeah, you don't have this bro. Um, Right. So, Multiple providers all take turns kind of auscultating their lung sounds and, you know, checking their liability. And (laughs) everyone who listens, they report clear and easily audible lung sounds with, again, no sounds over the epigastrium. They also note that there is condensation in the tube with ventilation. Okay. Um, so. They continue troubleshooting. They switch out the end title CO2 line, um, thinking that the line is faulty. And th- the first replacement, like, briefly drops the value to 77, but then it immediately shoots right back up to 99. They replace it one more time and then decide, like maybe it's not us like maybe it's not the patient maybe it's the monitor is faulty um these are reported to be like older Mm -hmm. monitors and they have had glitches and problems occasionally though when i asked rock they said like well i've never seen this particular problem or glitch okay um so it they've never had a they they can't recall a time where like this was the problem okay um but in good news they note that after they completed the intubation the patient's o2 saturation actually is increasing from the high 80s into the mid 90s that's good it is improving yeah that much is good okay cool so they ultimately decide that the evidence indicates that they have a patent airway and that it's time to start transporting. And real quick, I realized I left out a kind of a key piece of the story. I asked Rock, I was like, how how long did like was this intubation attempt? Like, was it a really prolonged one? And they said, like, it was a difficult intubation attempt, but they didn't feel that it was like excessively like long. Mm. So, there, you know, there is that piece
0: okay quick words on that really quick and maybe we'll talk about a little bit more later um just make sure that this is kind of something i like to do whenever i i start to innovate somebody have somebody that all their job that they have one job and that's just to tell you how long you've been ta- how long you've been doing this when you get focused on something especially like trying to get that tube in it's it can be easy to let time go by i know we talk about time dilation on the show a lot where it's the opposite where like You know, thirty seconds seems like an hour, but when you get honed in and you get tunnel vision, it goes the other way, and you'll be, you know, you'll think like, ah, it's only there for ten seconds. Like actually, you were in there since yesterday, and then you're like, holy (laughs) shit, you know. (laughs) So anyway, there's a new president now, everything. So yeah, but there's that 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 can happen. So anyway, I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just throwing it out there that this is a if you're PICing a call, we talk about assigning roles when you're PIC um time is an important enough factor to assign somebody to keep an eye on it absolutely anyway. all
2: right so they ultimately decide like hey all the evidence indicates that we have a patent airway and that it's time to start transporting and that it seems like at this point the monitor is probably faulty okay um so rock and scissors actually partner up in the back of the transport uh well, one of the other crew probably paper uh hmm. drives so rock paper and scissors depart the scene going code best two out of three <laughs> yeah this is what oh, i bring people this yes. is yeah. a rock yeah. a rock
0: paper scissors joke combined with a an ems driving joke that's that's pretty good mm-hmm. if you could have, if you could have thrown a knock knock at the front of that it would have been even better don't try
2: please it's good we can go on we can we're good <laughs> All right, the first five of the, the first five minutes of the 20-minute transport are unremarkable. The patient is BVM'd with a high with high flow O2 at a rate of about 10 to 15 breaths per minute. Well, technically entitled, BVETT, but Oh, yes, thank you. BVETT, oh. good point. Yeah. Uh, at 10 to 15 breaths per minute N-tidal CO2 continues to read 99 plus. The patient's O2 saturations hover in the mid 90s, and the patient's blood pressure remains in the low 110s.
0: Can I ask really quick why did they pick 10 to 15? Well, I guess if they're not trusting the entitle reading, then never mind.
2: Yeah, they're aiming for a normal, like, respiratory pattern okay. uh, for this patient. Fair enough. So, however, things go a little askew here. At the five minute mark, Rock notes that the patient's SPO2 values appear to be dropping uh rock and scissors sort of discuss this and they're trying to you know attempt to problem solve um you know increase the fio2 uh but if they become more concerned uh, as the values continue to drop that like maybe the tube might have migrated okay uh, you know in advanced and became like a right main stem now chris before you ask i did ask rock like hey did you guys take note of like the depth of the tube when you first secured it. And Rock says they did, they just don't recall what that was, but they do remember that the measurement at the tube tamer was unchanged at this point. So Hmm. the tube didn't appear to have like moved from where it was secured. Um, they decide, Hey, let's check lung sounds real quick and see if they're like louder on the right side versus the left. But here at this point, rock says they couldn't really appreciate the sounds with the siren and road noise going. Um, still the sats are dropping precipitously now and the crew isn't sure like what else it could be so they decide you know what we're just going to start pulling the tube back while we are bvming thinking that perhaps again it's like that right main stem and they'll pull it back out and the sats will increase um eventually what happens though is the patient is extubated now i do believe this was an they believe this was an intentional decision because as the sets continue to drop, despite their troubleshooting by like moving the tube around, they're just like this tube probably isn't patent anymore. Like there is okay. something wrong here because hmm. the patient's oxygenation is like is is going the it's wrong failing. direction. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: was it? Difficult at all to bag? Do you they know? They said
2: they reported that it was not difficult to bag the patient. Oops. Phenomenal question. Yeah. So the crew decide like, you know what? Let's just go back to the one person BVMing. Um, okay. The patient's paralytics have worn off at this point and the patient, though unresponsive, isn't being like super compliant with the BVMing. So they gave her more sedation with a one milligram per kilogram ketamine bolus, which isn't their protocol. Um, and by the way, I will add, they, I asked if they used like an N CO2 device with the BVM, but they said no because they really just didn't feel that it was reliable at this point.
1: You said at some point they figured that the N CO2 was faulty and so they stopped using it. Did they stop using it at some point before they extubated the patient?
2: um i don't know if they detached it or if they just sort of ignored it like kept it on and just ignored okay. the value yeah
0: okay just curious That would. Have, oh gosh that's actually a great question because what i'd be curious like hey if you detach it does it go down to zero because that would be really telling in terms of oh, like is it working yeah. or not you know what i mean oh man yeah. that's actually a really solid oh man see this is why <laughs> this is why we bring yeah. people in <laughs> that's actually a really good question Dang it. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Let's go.
2: All right. Let's do this. Well,
1: because if they left it in, wouldn't you? Well, we can talk about this yeah, more yeah, later.
2: Yeah, still, though. That's an we'll awesome We'll talk about it more later. All right. Yeah. So now more things happen, but we don't have specifics or like really good timelines. So I'll just give you the summary. The patient's vitals uh, at, you know, now with the BVM BVM, uh, remain the same, except that the patient's O2 saturation continues to slowly decline despite the BVMing with high flow O2. Uh, five minutes after the tube was pulled, they decide like, you know what, let's maybe try and re-intubate the patient. Um, and so they performed the l- laryngoscopy, but they are unable to visualize the cords this time. So they, they like, you know what, let's just continue BVMing and the SpO2 continues to drop now we're in the 70s all
0: right i have more questions um and by the way for those listening um it's now probably apparent this is the part where i kind of <laughs> i don't know much past this point so if that uh if that uh yeah if that is evident i apologize but this is why so um really quick when you say laryngoscopy are they using video laryngoscopy or direct
2: yes that high angle uh video l- laryngoscope is what okay they're using.
0: sweet and then second thing do they have peep valves They do not have peep valves. Dang it. They should have peep valves,
2: but peep valves would be amazing. Yeah, but they don't. So, all right, we'll move on. There we go. So with 10 minutes to go to arrival to the hospital, Rock gives a brief radio report, essentially telling the hospital, like, hey, we're 10 minutes away. (laughs) Shit's fucked up. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. That's yeah. lovely.
1: Ade- adequate description.
2: <laughs> it's fair. I believe they can. I believe they conveyed that they were like, "We're having airway difficulty. We will see you soon." Which, call the RT. You know, yeah. Apologize. Can I just
1: say, this doesn't. This sounds like not a fun call. This yeah. sounds like a really oh, tough, this,
2: tough call. The- Yeah. Yeah, This is a nightmare call. Yeah. No part of me wants any part of this. How about this? I am
0: so glad that I get to read and talk about this on a podcast instead of do
2: it. So instead of live it. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of live this. So. Yeah. So. Rock's partner places an OPA along with the BVM to see if that helps. And it sounds like any effect it had at this point was negligible. Like it did not okay. increase the sets um, due to the continued falling O2 saturation. The crew will try to place like two different King airways. Uh, however, despite those, airway is being placed there is no increase in the patient's o2 so they decide you know what we're going to pull these devices too because they're not working either the patient's saturations are just continuing to drop so they bvm without an opa for the rest of the transport which at that point is only a minute or two um the patient's o2 saturations are now in the 50s with a good pleth wave and as they're pulling into the ed the patient's other vitals also now start to decline. The patient's heart rate drops from the 80s down to 45, and the blood pressure also becomes hy- hypotensive. The exact values are not remembered. Uh, so they park and they just push, you know, beat feet into the, uh, Yeah. hey, Chris, you're the ED. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? No. <laughs> I did not want to be a
0: willing participant in this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right i reject i reject this transfer exactly.
0: wouldn't that be nice sorry we're closed i yeah. uh, can't uh, uh <laughs> nope
2: uh, uh, you I'm, didn't hear we're on divert yeah <laughs> right, right just make
0: it up i will say this this is precisely what nicole mentioned earlier is that uh your patient you know if this isn't corrected your patient will uh will make it obvious and uh yeah. this is kind of where we're at our, our patient's starting to code we're starting to see a shutdown
2: so in the emergency department, Rock and his partner give report as they turn over care. The ED staff focus on like immediately re- trying to resuscitate the patient. Rock sure. notes that the patient does get an OPA placed and that the Sats improve slightly, but not really in any significant way. Uh, Rock says they left the ED room because it was getting very crowded. Um, but they waited outside to talk to the doctor. The doctors reported to have attempted like three to four times to intubate the patient oh, before calling for assistance from uh, uh. their in-house flight service crew. Uh, no who, worries, folks. Uh, we fl- got it from fl- here. Yeah. <laughs> the flight nurse. <laughs> this is why we love the boys. In really blue. quick, uh,
0: did they use the helicopter or the capes? <laughs>
1: right. yeah. I don't know if you guys actually wear blue, we but art. I feel like, no. yeah, no. right. No. Yes, and I said boys. I should say we like the people in blue.
2: Yeah, the but the flight team is event like they come down and they are able to successfully intubate the patient. Now again, Rock did stick around because they were just like, what the fuck is yeah. going on with this patient? And really, what they wanted to know is specifically like why was the end title CO2 so high, even after they tried like new lines and all of those, like, you know, all those steps, um, which by the way, are really good questions to ask. Doctor always start with paper. The third, um, (laughs) he's never, the doctor says that he's never seen anything like that before. And just like, I don't have an answer. The doctor also said the intubation was the hardest he's encountered too. So again, no answers are given. And a quick aside here, uh, the reason that intubation gets like every intubation attempt makes the like the subsequent uh, intubation attempts that much harder uh, just because like now you're you're putting a giant metal blade into somebody's throat and then you're trying to like pass a tube. It's hitting like structures. Those are swelling. So like the fact that you know he tried three or four times after they had tried multiple times like that that it's probably just a red mess down there um so that's yeah yeah that's no good (laughs) Anyway, rock did follow up with their uh, chief at their station to see if they could find out what happened with the patient. Uh, they also tried to like follow up on their own, but unfortunately they never did hear back. So we don't know what happened to this patient or what like the over like hmm. the underlying pathology was. Um, rock did talk to their crew about the call and all were supportive, but no one had a solid explanation for what happened either. Uh, the explanation of like, maybe it was a pulmonary embolism was offered uh, due to the falling sets, but rock wasn't sure because like it shouldn't have a higher end title. So they turned this call over to us to see if we might be able to answer the mystery. So let's review and discuss.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> this is a heck of a call. We've got a lot of things to really kind of analyze everything from the weird and title CO2 to the SAO2. Why was it falling in the first place? Um, so really quick i'm going to go ahead and just kind of summarize what we had and where we are now so we have a crew of paramedics that respond to a uh, skilled nursing facility for a like code but not code but maybe code but maybe everything's fine but maybe transfer but maybe not uh so (laughs) they find which by the way if you don't work in ems i I do want to talk about this (laughs) briefly um we get the, the weirdest readbacks to the point that I have learned to like, you know, I don't even care what the readback is anymore. It's just like, how fast do I need to get there? Uh, great. Any safety concerns? Okay. The rest is just, I'm going to completely almost ignore it because best case scenario, it's a hundred percent accurate. Worst case scenario, you, it's not accurate. And so it's going to kind of cloud your judgment when you get in there. So I always like to start, start my assessments from ground zero anyway. So there you go. Um, oh, and fun fact, a lot of flight programs get no read back at all. We get a location and an age and weight of the patient, and that's it. Anyway. Moving on. So, uh, the crew responds to the skilled nurse facility. They find an 87-year-old female patient. She's unresponsive in her bed. The patient has a kind of like a beat-up arm from a recent surgery and pinpoint pupils, which leads the crew to suspect a possible opiate OD. Uh, the patient is moved out of the ambulance, uh, out to the ambulance rather, and gets an IV, a 12-lead, a non-rebreather mask, and some Narcan which doesn't do anything for the patient. Uh, the patient becomes, uh, the patient became agonal in terms of their breathing and the crew decide to go ahead and RSI the patient. Though they try a ketamine only innovation first with no paralytic. The endotracheal tube placement is challenging, but it's ultimately successful. Uh, but the monitor then shows an ETCO 2 reading of 99, uh, which by the way, that's not like 99 once, that's 99 constantly. That's all it is. They yeah. briefly troubleshoot. But decide they do have a patent airway after all and that the ETCO2 reading is likely erroneous. That's kind of a sticking point that I have. I don't know if it's erroneous or not. Uh, Unfortunately, the patient starts to desaturate during their transport and the crew end up pulling the tube and they revert to one person BBMing without much success. They do try to intubate the patient once more, but they're not successful. Then they try to use some King Airways. They try an an oral pharyngeal airway uh, in addition to the BBM, all of those without success. On arrival to the ED, the patient is severely hypoxic, bradycardic, and hypotensive. Uh, The receiving ED, by the way, they also struggle uh, to secure an airway with the patient because, as Spence said, by now we've basically punched this
2: person in the airway several times and it's not looking pretty. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that sums it up perfectly. So, all right, Nicole, Chris, uh, there are a few things that we want to cover in this episode, but the chief complaint for this call, uh, to steal the term, seems to be that there's an end title co2 reading of yeah, greater than 99 after intubation and i want to start there because i think yeah, everyone would get really upset if we started like with the about like their five minute drive and uh you know discuss the cruise pre-gaming which yeah i thought was excellent by
0: the yeah way. we do we do usually start with pregaming on this uh yeah. on this show but yeah i
2: don't yeah. think that's where so- we're at So let's start here with the like, but like after a quick Spencer style review of what end tidal CO2 is and why it's really an important value for EMS. End tidal CO2 is the measured amount of CO2 exhaled from your lungs at the end of a breath cycle. Entitle CO2 is important for a lot of reasons in EMS cause, Like, and most of the time we think of N-title CO2 monitoring as like the gold standard for airway confirmation because title CO2 can really only come from the lungs or, you know, it's another way to monitor someone's breathing in real time, which is another cool thing it can do, but it can tell us quite a bit more when we combine that information with the presentation and history of the patient. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. So let's dive into the physiology stuff that got brought up early. So when you breathe, your lungs take in air and the oxygen molecules in that air hit a ride right on the hemoglobin in your blood cells uh, with some of the O2, like riding in with the plasma. Um, It's like the sidecar on a motorcycle, you know. Uh, So when that O2 in your blood gets to an area of low oxygen concentration, like your foot, some of that O2 will peel off and get used by the cell in your foot, along with like glucose that's around so they can make some of that sweet, sweet ATP, which is energy for your cells to function. Um, And a byproduct of this process, like your cells in your body, Essentially create water and CO2, which then get released back into your bloodstream and your blood carries that CO2 out to the lungs. So it can be released back into the wild, like free Willy at the end of the movie. Free Willy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <Go! laughs> God, that movie made me cry. Anyway. Uh, but that's real, like, that's still an oversimplification. Um, when CO2 is released from the cells and into your blood, it combines with the water that's in your, like, in your body. Um, and gets turned into something called carbonic acid, which, you know, thanks to an enzyme in your blood cells, then gets turned into bicarbonate, which is a base, and a free hydrogen ion, which is an acid. Now, the body has a variety of ways of managing this acid because it's really, really whiny about this stuff. So excess CO2 gets offloaded um, by the lungs, and your kidneys tend to deal with the hydrogen ion. Small segue, I'm going to talk about pH or that acidic alkaline scale. The scale goes from 0 to 14 with 7 being neutral. So think of water. 7 is water. 0 being very acidic and 14 being incredibly alkaline. And you might be wondering like, okay, why is he bringing this up? Uh, Remember when a second ago when I said like your body is really, really whiny? Well, the human body has a very narrow pH window uh, that it can operate in. It's 7.35 to 7.45. So it's just slightly alkalotic. Uh, And that's where like that's the range in which all the things in our body work. If you stray too far from that range things stop working for instance if your blood becomes too alkalotic the hemoglobin mm. in your red blood cells actually tend to get really greedy about the o2 they're holding on to and they start like treating the o2 like they're like they're holding on to as if it were the one ring and you can <laughs> bet your ass they're not sharing the one <laughs> ring with those cell those hobbit cells filthy hobbit cells Is uh, that that, <laughs> exactly that stop. really do need the o2 rings so they could like make energy Conversely, if you become too acidic, the hemoglobin have less affinity for the O2 that like they are carrying and picking up and are happy to drop it off quickly or just kind of ignore it as they flow by. Um, Now, you might have heard of a thing called like the oxygen disassociation curve. uh, And there's more on that we can go into later. But like the big takeaway is this, like it's important to stay within the pH parameters if you're interested in staying alive, which I'm pretty invested in. I have an interest in that. Yeah, yeah. I I am too invested. All three of us can agree on that. I subscribe. Anyway, uh, so and to that point, having extra CO2 in your body causes your body to become more acidic. The rule, by the way, for those of you interested in passing a critical care exam, is that for every increase in CO2 by 10 millimeters of mercury, it will decrease the pH of your blood by about 0.08. So here's my example. We have a patient who's walking around and they have an arterial blood pH of 7.35 with a exhaled CO2 level of like 35. Those are both normal values. Things are good. If you take that same patient and simply like change the CO2 level from 35 to 55 by putting your hand over their mouth and stopping them from breathing for a little bit. Wow. Don't do that. That's yeah, aggressive. It got dark. It got dark. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Was- Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Jeez. <laughs> where's the pillow yeah. <laughs> where's the therapy
2: pillow oh my goodness uh, <laughs> then their ph uh, if you do the math should drop to about 7.19 which means their body will be probably working really hard to correct it because it doesn't like that it things don't work well um so your body, by the way, is like really, really invested in making sure this whole cellular respiration process runs smoothly. It's got chemoreceptors like peripherally in your carotid uh, and aortic bodies to monitor things like, hey, what's our uh, oxygen level right now? Hey, what's our CO2 level? And they also have some chemoreceptors located like centrally in your medulla, which monitor CO2 levels and your blood's pH. So if your body is building up too much CO2 because like you're working harder, maybe you're sprinting, fighting a fever fighting a bear fighting a medic holding a pillow over your face uh, your body will typically react but <laughs> your body will typically react by increasing your respiratory rate which is a fast response it's a quick way to deal with the acidosis that's building up mm-hmm. or like if it's prolonged by asking your organs like your kidney to release more buffering substance which can buffer the acidic byproduct of that cellular respiration plus more this is oh my god this is such a deep topic um But really, like the important thing to know is the metabolic process to compensate for acidosis takes time. This takes like in the form of days and weeks. The respiratory system to compensate for the acidosis is a far faster way of controlling this. So, in fact, when we go on patients who have like a profound metabolic acidosis and they're intubated, we often have to breathe way faster and or deeper, um, like when they're on a ventilator, just to keep them from becoming too acidic um, they should not have xenomorph blood that <laughs> is bad anyway uh, and we use end co2 values to help like manage that condition so i want to be clear measuring end co2 isn't a blood draw N-tidal CO2 is merely a measurement of the CO2 that manages to get exhaled by the lungs. If everything is working well, then those values, your blood CO2 uh, and your N-tidal CO2, should be pretty close. Although your N-tidal CO2 value will actually always be lower than the blood draw by about like two to five millimeters of mercury, again, with like good normal compliance. But again, like if there isn't blood going to the lungs because something like, hey, your heart is stopped and yeah. so there's no blood moving or gases, gas exchange isn't happening because like there's too much fluid in their lungs or the lungs are those of a 30 year old smoker. Then like your entitled CO2 is going to be varying degrees of even more off and lower compared to the lab value from an arterial blood gas.
0: All right. So to kind of kind of sum up, if I'm understanding this correctly, um, acid. Uh, pH balance is important in our bodies. And one of the ways that we uh, regulate that, our bodies will regulate that, is by breathing. And when the, our buffer system goes too far one way, the quick and easy action to regulate our pH is to breathe a little bit faster or slower. Uh, when we're talking about an acidic patient, we're going to see an elevated respiratory rate to try and drive the entitled number. And the <clears throat> and the entitled numbers uh, will be driven uh, down. Uh, so, quick question for you, though, Spence. Is there a situation that would create like a false high in title CO two rating? Because that's kind of where I'm stuck on with
2: this patient. Yeah, uh, gr- that's a great question, especially given like the context of this call. And here's the thing: I can't find a false high for end title CO two values. So like it really is like unless the monitor they were using was actually broken and reading erroneously, uh, then I'd ha- I'd ha- I have to presume that the values we're seeing are like. The actual values, um, which means that those would be actionable values that the crew probably should have, like, tried attempted to correct, um, because, like, there's a few other things that can go really wonky when your body becomes severely acidotic.
0: Well, I'll and- correct that really quick. Maybe they're not actual values. Like, 99 is maybe not the actual value, but it being high may be realistic. Because 99, because exactly. okay. it being pegged, because if it's the actual value, we should see a fluctuation with inhalation and exhalation. Yeah. Um,
1: However, clinically, anecdotally, I would say that I have seen many PaCO2s on blood gases that have been above 100. So, at one teens, 129, I think might be my highest. Now, again, this isn't the regular situation. But back to what Spence was saying is that these numbers in theory, actually not in theory, these numbers should be about maximally like five points difference. So your PCO2 and your end tidal CO2 should be appropriately matching. So if this person really was super hypercarbic, yeah. maybe it was above 100. Yeah, yeah we'll follow yeah.
0: up with that because that that, and that is actually kind of exactly why um, your perspective is so valuable here because I'll be that honest, like these just aren't numbers that we see a whole lot in EMS, especially that high. That's why Spencer and I were both <laughs> a, a little bit lost. Um, I do have one other question. Um did they by chance report the monitor? I mean I I have it is totally possible the monitor's
2: broken too. That that is a that is an opportunity. Yeah. Let's uh let's circle back to that okay. because that's a really good uh that's a really good piece here that should be addressed. Okay. But real quick, I want to talk about what happens when your body becomes too severely acidotic. Otherwise I did a ton of fucking research for nothing. Uh
1: <laughs> by, by the way, you're killing it. You're killing you're doing it. Great. You're you're really oh, doing awesome. You. Uh, like
2: yeah no Uh, awesome (laughs) all right so here's some uh here's just a quick overview of the bad things that happen when you try to become a xenomorph uh (laughs) cerebral vasodilation occurs with acute respiratory acidosis which increases your intracranial pressure and can also cause some central cns depression uh cardiac inotropy decreases and your body doesn't respond as well to catecholamines, which by the way, will surge out in response to the acidosis. Uh, as the acidosis progresses, potassium will drift out of the cells and just kind of chill in your bloodstream um, probably in like a beach position Uh, (laughs) and the problem there is like now you have catecholamines and a ton of potassium and a heart that's really irritable and so like the likelihood of a patient going into an arrhythmia increases significantly which by Um, the way
0: guys a a good example of a catecholamine would be like norepinephrine exactly
2: yep um, and, like, multiple sources have indicated that the body ends up having, like, higher O2, uh, like, oxygen demands as well with this condition. Um, I'm imagining in response to that sort of right shift where you just need to give more, like, you need to increase the amount of, con- like, the concentration of oxygen um, so that it will attach itself to hemoglobin. Because uh, hemoglobin and oxygen, the, like, one oxygen will hop on, but, like, then it encourages more friends to hop on. They, they like to go all together. Um, so, by the way, the, a patient with a pH below seven seems to be described often online as a patient not long for the world. Um, but there yeah. are some important case, like there are some case reports documenting people surviving and surviving neurologically intact, uh, with pHs as low as 6.3. Um, Dang. 6.33, which is insane. Yeah, um, it is. I, yeah. And I want to point out, like, a real important Aspect of that is like those patients all had a metabolic like process, um, that kind of made it a slower, uh, dip into the you know, vat of acid. So, okay. uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so they then just jump right in. Uh, okay. you know, they, tried it out first. I'm so, ready. Chris nicole like i i hopefully that like hopefully that catches us up on end title co2 and like touches on the importance of co2 in our bodies uh particular particularly in terms of like acid base balance um but now comes the questions so let's jump into the point back in that call where they secure the et tube and they see that end title co2 value pop up on their monitor you know it's 99 it's gold sats are coming up what do you guys do in that situation so I have
0: to admit when I first when you when, when you first brought this to my attention you're like you gotta check this out what do you think my immediate response was oh it's broken yeah. and and purely because of I, I I have been in flight as long as Spencer has and uh, I don't have a lot of critical care experience I just haven't seen values like that before and to see it pegged like that I, I really understand where the field crews coming from being like it's broken. And so when we were going through it and they're like, okay, so we swapped out the entitled monitor, exactly what I would have done. I'd have been like, that's a broken piece. Swap, yeah. you know, swap, swap out the, the end piece there. Um, but they're kind of stuck with the same monitor. So if it's broken, if the monitor itself is broken, switch them out all you want, you're going to get wrong ratings. What tipped my curiosity is that later on in the call, they do end up seeing some values after they start ventilating a little bit. They do end up seeing some values start dipping down to like 70, where all of a sudden it becomes, it, it becomes real. And so that kind of set my brain off as like, okay, like, are these extremely high values possible? And then Nicole, I'm going to kind of turn this over to you, but that, you were saying earlier, you've seen uh 2s uh, above that value correct like this isn't crazy yeah
1: no it's not crazy so i just to point out in my practice now when we intubate patients the gold standard is um using entitled co2 but we we do it with the um co2 detectors Mm -hmm. so a lot of times we're not in it's not a standard of practice during intubation in the icu to have the patient on entitled CO2, we use the CO2 detectors. Now, I, I will see, say that I see many blood gases immediately after intubation uh, with your high PCO2s. Um, and again, though these are a lot of times are, are chronically ill patients or people who have been having difficulty weaning off the ventilator or what they say, liberated <laughs> now.
2: Nice. I like um, that. I, that's a but, far better term um,
1: liberate me <laughs> free Willie. yeah exactly <laughs> oh, <sorry>. exactly
0: <laughs> but, i would have so much but, fun with um, the artwork for for this for this episode <laughs> oh <my God.
1: laughs> look at my face be on a balloon that Willie's pushing into the air no i don't I have know. have alien references too <laughs> um,
0: so we're all <laughs> well set
1: so but the, the question I have about the patient, and, and we don't know this because we don't know the, the past mm-hmm. medical history, but I'm for our patients who have lung-compromised COPDers, they can live at a higher PaCO2, a higher CO2 level in their bloodstream. So when they get into trouble, it, you'll, you'll see that PC, PC, God <laughs> damn it, motherfucker. <laughs> you'll see that see that co2 level be a lot higher because they're already running at like 55 or whatever and their bicarb will be at like 34 or something like that so you'll see this higher level um now i i did think about your the, the relationship between the pco2 and the and your end title, this ventilation perfusion. And I just wondered, you know, what's happening with this patient? Right. So clinically, if they, if their CO2, their end title CO2 is high clinically, it makes sense because we know they weren't moving air. They were agonally breathing. Yeah. They maybe weren't being bagged. They weren't getting oxygen during their prolonged intubation or maybe, maybe they were, uh, blow by or, you know, so. You know it makes sense that maybe it could be that high you know if it could if it later you know they might they were someone said like oh maybe it was a pe you would see or was it could it have been a pe their their end title co2 would be
0: low right not not high exactly yeah. like, and that, and that is kind of, yeah, that, and that is kind of the, the crux of the whole thing is, it, it, I, and I really wish we ended up knowing what happened with this patient. And I really, really wish we had this patient's history. And I think that was kind of the turning point for me was talking with you about, uh, that these levels of CO2 are actually way more reasonable. And that's why I think this episode is going to be really one that people need to focus on because, excuse me, this is knowledge that had the screw had before really could have changed the course of care substantially because as we kind of move into these high co2 levels what we should be doing when we see these high co2 levels is start bagging the patient more increase that respiratory rate drive these co2 levels down because as spencer talked about having uh for lack of a better term totally jacked up co2 levels is going to affect your ph balance and your ph balance as it turns out affects everything else and so it is totally plausible that we start seeing these other uh, signs of other organs failing uh like cardiac output for example towards the end uh due to under uh ventilation there and so yeah i mean and th- that's kind of the part that blew my mind now spence i don't know if this is a good time to do this or not but um did they end up writing up the monitor because that still could be part of it <laughs> I, I don't because we don't know
2: what happened to this patient um I, I- I, I will jump around real quick. I will, I'll make the small tangent. They did not. They did not write up the monitor. Damn they them. did not follow up on that. And I, th- here's the lesson early. If you think your monitor is broken, especially with something as vital as end CO2, yeah. you gotta fucking report it you can't right. not report that like get that have that monitor investigated to make sure that it's operating because like that's not something you don't want to run with that on your next call if you're concerned about it so that yeah well uh we'll cross that talking yeah. point off the list both uh,
1: yeah mm, i do i have one thing to say and you probably wouldn't have time to do it in your like in this Mm -hmm. moment, but you can't always call the manufacturer. They should have helplines available. Like people on, like on the phone that you can say, Hey, I'm getting this weird, you know, weird reading on my monitor. Is this, could this be real? What should I do? I mean, I, I, you know, I've definitely called like the, target temperature management people in the middle of the night, you know, because something isn't working right, but they walk you, they can walk you through this. That's
0: good information because I'd be willing to bet that there are a ton of EMS agencies that, uh, or not necessarily EMS agencies, but there's a lot of first responders out there that are not aware that their agency has that contact, uh, because they do. I know, uh, the grant agency we work for Every single major piece of equipment we had, we had our own personal rep for, like they were our person to call anytime we needed anything. And so uh, it is good to check in, and see if your agency has that person because they typically do. So awesome bit of
2: advice. Nice. All right. So uh, here's, here's sort of my take on this. Um, I, I think given the data we have, uh, we know that end CO2 can be falsely low compared to your like blood co2 levels but we know that it can't be falsely high uh, okay. on a normal like physiological scale like it will not be falsely high compared to that, so like, if they've done the tasks of like, hey, we tried switching out the lines, we've you know, and they saw a dip, like you said, it would be again, that would be far more telling if they disconnected it. That that was a phenomenal idea that I wouldn't even yeah. have thought about, Nicole. Just disconnect it and go like, all right, let's see what it does, and yeah. if it drops down, um, then you, yeah, then you know it's working accurately. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, what I wouldn't recommend is like breathing through it on your own after you punch it into the patient. That's a that would be yeah. Well, she just got her second COVID
0: vaccine shot. I know it takes about a week before that sets in, but (laughs) I mean,
2: like, she had round one. Yeah, fair. (laughs) Um, but that, that, yeah, that's a great way to like troubleshoot to see if it is your equipment. My presumption is that it's not the equipment. I, I don't wonder if I, I do phrase that. I do wonder if the like that sort of like time dilation happened where everyone's kind of focused on that airway piece and, you know, time sort of right. extends. It doesn't take long for CO2 to build up. Um, if the patient's apneic and not breathing, and then you have a patient who, when you're breathing, they're just so far above the baseline that you're not able to kind of dip it back down below 99 so that you could see it. And so in that case, you'd have a patient, if you're breathing at a rate of like, you know, 10 to 12 to 15 times a minute, um, then you might not actually be getting those values down to where, um, you would actually see it dip below the monitor. Absolutely. Uh, and, so the solution here would just be to, and I, I would want to, I would say like, you know what, we're going to hyperventilate this patient. I want to be really careful not to like hyperinflate the lungs. Like, don't get like, Oh my God, let's like put all the air in their lungs. Now, you know, let's, Yeah. know, let's try and clear it out in one fell swoop. It's going to take time for those things to take place, but, you know, ventilating your patient at a, you know, faster rate, upper twenties, Um, you know, even into the thirties to see if you can get that value down may Mm. be helpful in that, um, uh, in this treatment, um, I, the, the, the thing I really want to get clear is like, this is, this is clearly a knowledge deficit. Um, and I totally get where this comes from because like my program touched on like blood pH for like between week one and two. And I remember just being like confused enough and then being really glad that we moved on like, it was like, okay, cool. Like (laughs) sweet. Cause that boy, that sucked. Um, and like I came out into the field with like no knowledge of, you know, it's like everybody I intubate gets, you know, We breathe for them at a rate of like 12 a minute or 20 if they're a child. And that's it. So like if I intubated like a DK patient early on in my career, like I could have killed them easily without having any idea. We didn't
0: monitor entitled CO2 for the longest time. Well, since Spencer and I started, it's been a standard now for a while. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's but when we both started, like you didn't monitor entitled CO2 at all, you just plugged it in and you bagged at the rate you're supposed to bag at and hope
2: that worked. But you know, t- to your point, Chris, is I-, I would have the same thought. I'd be like, mm, "That doesn't seem right." Let's switch yeah. out the lines because, like, that's broken you know, their life in the fast lane does have a list of things that can increase CO2 and all of them sort of make sense. Like, oh, if your body's, you know, the, the meta- your body's metabolism in, is increased because of like fever, or if like you're given sodium bicarbonate or, you know, like something along those lines, uh, y- that can increase your entitled CO2. Um, yeah. And they say like, it, and for the airway stuff, it's really just like, well, if they're not, if you're hypoventilating the patient or, you know, then that, or the patient's hypoventilating on their own, then that will, of course, raise those values. A bronchial, like right main stem will raise those values because you're not getting that good gas exchange. Um, Right. Because both lungs like to work in that process. Um, You know, if you have like a partial airway obstruction, essentially something that is preventing, you know, CO2 from escaping your body will cause your end tidal CO2 to increase. In terms of like apparatus, it's really like, hey, maybe your you know, your ventilator is malfunctioning. You have a leak in your system. There's, you know, you had, you, you are rebreathing their air. Um, or you, you know, your CO2 detector is faulty. Um, which, you know, again, like they took really appropriate steps to troubleshoot. Uh, so I, I think given all the things that they tried to like how they tried to solve the problem, I think the only step that they missed was breathing faster. Right. Um, why do you think the patient became hypoxic? Um, this is something that I don't have a lot of experience in. Um, it, it, like if, is there a point where a patient becomes like too acidotic that they you know, their O2 sats plummet, they're just everything stops working? That um, is an awesome question. Nicole, do you have any experience with that?
1: You, I mean, well, you actually explained it in your example of what happens when your pH is too low. You, oxygen doesn't have a great affinity, so you end up with a desaturation. So, I mean, clinically, it makes sense. I mean, yes, I've seen it in those patients that they're in profound, like, hypercarbic respiratory failure and hypoxic respiratory failure yeah. at the same time. Yeah, the only other thing that I didn't think about before was I was like... Well, fir- first, I want to say this. I thought a lot about them double-checking to make sure that the ET tube is in the right place. Right. If it was in the, you know, in your stomach yeah. or whatever, you would have seen, you know, your end-tidal CO2 be a flat line or maybe six breaths, most of having some CO2 detectable, sure. and then it would yeah. be a flat line. So, I think it was in the right spot. I yeah. Um I do... um after thinking about this call though i was like did they just pop a pneumo somehow or did oh, yeah. they like you know because they, the the ET et2 was in the right spot and then they couldn't appreciate they didn't seem like it moved and then they didn't um they couldn't appreciate lung sounds because they were you know, it was too loud in the back because mm, they mm-hmm. were being transported sure. but i don't know you know, maybe they write. Maybe it was a right main stem, and then yeah, it, it was a pneumo after that. I mean, I I honestly I don't know why they desaturated. And I'm at the same when spot. they did. I mean, like yeah.
0: I I just um, but that's actually a really good consideration because the things that I was the first thing when, when I saw the stats low. This was before I really this is when I was still like, okay, I th- I think the entitled monitor's broken. Uh, which which I have changed my yeah. tune on that. I'm now like, no, it's super accurate. Uh, but um. One of the things that I had been thinking about was like, you know, a, a PE kind of makes sense in that scenario. Like all of a sudden uh, the PE hits. But like you mentioned earlier, that should be associated with a lower end title because the PE blocks gas exchange. So we should be seeing the end title up there. And so now that I have this better knowledge of like, no, this end title was almost was probably absolutely legitimate. Now PE is almost off the table. And so, it comes down to saturations, and I hadn't considered what you just said, and that is, do we have a potential pneumothorax going on? Because that would absolutely lower saturations, like the amount of uh, available alveoli is going to decrease, and that's what brings our saturations up. And so, it would also make sense, because we don't know this person's history, if this person, like, let's just put this out there, and now I'm talking hypotheticals because we don't have the information, but... If this person is a COPD which means they're a natural CO2 retainer. So their natural levels of CO2 or their daily levels of CO2 rather is going to be up higher. It's hard to call it a natural level of CO2 when you got there by smoking cigarettes, which I'm pretty sure you don't pick off of trees, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that's going to be higher and they're going to be more susceptible to lung damage from pressure, like that provided by BBM. Mm-hmm. So when you start talking about things like a pneumothorax, uh, especially then, as you also mentioned, if they then right main stem it as well, if it was right stem, then a COPD patient, you're going to be able to cause, you're going to be able to overpressure one lung way easier than two. You're going to get, even further an even further increase in entitled co2 because you're not ventilating the other lung completely and you're going to get a drop uh in sao2 so it's entirely plausible that migration could have occurred now the crew did check the tube measurement uh when they saw this and they said it was the same um but depending on how close things are it might be that you could be that fraction of a difference to where much movement isn't really there and one thing you have to remember is even if the tube is the same at the teeth if our heads do this the depth of the tube will change even if the tube is locked at the teeth. So it's entirely possible that a tube that is not moved from where it was to the teeth due to a patient positioning maneuver, we can have somewhat of a difference in where it lines up. So a pneumothorax is totally a possibility in this case, but like Spence and maybe, maybe you have some background research and you're going to about to wow us all, but I think I have to, Firmly plant my feet in the I don't know why the sats, exactly why the sats dropped uh, camp. Yeah.
2: I I think what we have is a a variety of, uh, you know, a potential, you know, list of possibilities with like different probabilities. I kind of move away from, um, like a pneumothorax being the cause uh because when they first and like when the rock said when they first intubated the patient everyone checked lung sounds and they were all clear they and true. equal and present and they that's true. when we had that high end co2 value of greater than 99 mm. um and so that kind of moves me away from that it could be that it's you know right main stem and and people just think they're hearing equal mm. lung sounds especially if if you especially if you have a person going like i hear equal present <laughs> lung sounds and then the next person goes like uh, yeah, they Me sound too. equal to them. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. And everyone kind of does that thing that, I mean, you can see that with medication vials. You're like, hey, I'm going to give midazolam. And then it turns out it's, you know, Zofran. And right. you show somebody and you're like, I'm giving midazolam and you're holding a vial of Zofran and they'll go like, yep, midazolam. Because that, that's a that's a very legitimate and real phenomenon that happens. Zofran,
0: yeah. by the way, is not near as effective for seizures. <laughs> it just doesn't work out.
2: I mean, I keep trying.
0: Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it did not happen. Um, no, uh, but, but, but but again, but also the tube could have migrated later on. They could have had good uh, lung sounds on scene. They moved the patient, or uh, when they first intubated, the patient gets moved in some way.
2: And and that's value, like, like, that's possible too. I mean, like, and that's sort of the thing where it's like how we, and this is sort of gets to another point I'll bring up later. I want to bring up later, which is like, this is the importance of getting history and like medications because like maybe they're on beta blockers. And so they're not going to have the tachycardic response to, uh, that you normally get with like a pneumothorax right. as your body's trying to work harder. Um, you know, like, so it's i guess it's possible you know but man i i don't know i i'm i'm, I'm kind of on the like i think the body was just becoming really acidic and yeah. all the things that sort of seem to uh, fall into that category seem to apply here and so i i just i don't wonder if it's really just like the patient was hypoventilated um they were ventilated at what would have been an appropriate rate for any other patient uh who you know didn't have who had like a normal you know acid base balance um but in this case just because you know for whatever reason i that's sort of where i that's sort of Mm -hmm. where i circle back to um yeah but
1: Uh, now i'm i'm going back to what Chris was saying about wouldn't it be nice if you had a peep valve because if you would have had a peep valve yeah. and, and crank crank that up you might have been able to
0: appreciate it and oxidation improve yeah. it. absolutely one of the things that we have talked about on, on the show is you know you have two ways you know, ventilation is primarily measured by end-tidal CO2 readings and oxygenation primarily measured by SAO2. If you want to affect SAO2, it's PEEP and FiO2 on your ventilator settings or your or your bagging. Yeah. Uh, and then for N title, it's generally going to be uh, the volume and the rate that you're bagging at. And you can just like things like I time too, if you really want to get uh, into the ventilator settings. Um, but... Uh, yeah. So a bit of a ventilator nerd now that I've that I use one <laughs> a lot more. But uh, anyway, right. but yeah, yeah, you can do just things like I time that kind of stuff. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, just kind of a lot of different takes there. But again, no yeah. peep valve was available, and <laughs> peep by the way is now standard in a lot of, of EMS agencies uh, as well. The ground agency that um, Spencer and I work with have PEEP valves. Uh, the flight agency that we work with also has PEEP valves. And of course, all of our ventilators have a PEEP setting on them. So yeah, PEEP, yeah. PEEP is awesome, especially as we start seeing COVID-19 patients. Uh, running these high peep values. It's yeah. it's important.
2: And, and by the way, for those who are kind of like, what the fuck is peep? Peep is, if you've heard CPAP, CPAP is very similar to like yeah. peep. Yeah. If you ever um, like potty posi-
0: Easter party, they're the little marshmallow birds. That's... <laughs> you just take one of those and you shove it on the end of the ET tube.
2: And that's... That's going to hold pressure in those lungs. Or you put it in a microwave and then leave. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, my god. Okay, sorry. It's positive end expiratory pressure, and it helps pop your alveoli open and, and stay open. So then when you exhale, they... You don't, they don't have to deflate and then open again they can recruit and get bigger and anyway yeah. you end up with more gas exchange. Right, if you want sorry. to give a better no. answer
2: than i did fine I'm, i guess that's
1: i'm sorry
2: it's hard to work with i'm, fired. I'm no, fired no no, no
0: I'm fired. you're definitely hired you made fun of spencer cbg checks and you managed to move it sorry. on these guys need to stop talking about
2: marshmallows
1: god damn it i'm sorry oh, right.
2: it's wonderful so, do it all, all the right. time right so here we go let's let's rather than jump around more and get ourselves lost, uh, yeah. in reviewing the rest of this call, let's just kind of take it in order so that we don't miss any important pieces that we should probably cover. All um, right. What you got. All right. So pregame, I, again, I'm a fan of the fuck it. Let's just bring all the stuff we'd bring in for a code. Solid when code work. is on the table.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this goes, um, this goes to what Nicole said earlier is well, what's going to kill them first and then prepare for that. And in this case, we, it's either a code, not a code dialysis transfer or DOA. Um, and uh, and so it's like yeah, well the worst thing that could kill would be a code, so bring the shit, prepare for a code. I'm I'm into it. Yeah,
2: uh, Chris, how about any arrival assessment stuff? Uh, anything stand out to you, or what would you have liked more of?
0: Um, honestly, I think their initial assessment was actually pretty solid if I'm if I'm uh, remembering it correctly here, uh, except for the big hole we keep talking about, and that is making sure we get past medical history, uh, meds, allergies, those kind of things, because that really could have helped with this patient um and you kind of need that for a lot of the problem solving we ended up doing as far as your physical assessment like they checked pupils they checked sat they checked sats they checked lung sounds they did an altered llc assessment they looked at at all the appropriate vital signs i didn't have a problem with the actual physical assessment but when it comes down to the history taking part of the assessment that is something that really needed to be locked down um yeah Yeah, another thing is um oh sorry Oh, another thing is that uh, we all kind of run into these things at facilities uh, where, I mean, like we talked, we joked about it earlier, but it is true. We do walk into facilities and they're like, I don't know anything about this patient. And you're like, oh, can I get some paperwork? And they're like, oh, the printer's jammed. You know, something comes up and they just don't have anything for you. Um, another thing you can track down is like, hey, like, where did they have the surgery done? Like, where did you admit them from? And they would be like, oh, you know, the the. Big giant university hospital nearby. you like awesome. That may be a resource for you to call over there, but you may run into some barriers going that direction because yeah. they may be like, I don't know who you are. I can't tell you about a patient. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there you go. I-
2: And also, like if, you know, if they're equal distance away, maybe divert to the facility that then knows them, you know, like if if all of the things are equal, just go like, hey, uh, you know what, we're just going to go there because they'll at least be like, oh, yeah, we discharged her. And unless things have changed wildly, uh, then information is probably still up to date.
0: And what um, I would say, like when you have a patient with unstable vital signs that you'd need to go to the nearest one, if you have a patient that's maybe in the danger zone, but not quite unstable, even if it's a couple extra minutes, it may be worth going to a hospital that knows the patient because as obvious with this patient, history makes a huge difference.
2: Yeah. Um, one trick I've done like when I've encountered that where they're like oh we don't know where the paperwork is I'm like what's your name and a phone number that I can get a hold of you directly and then I'll <laughs> give that to the ED nurse uh, maybe they'll call but they I, I don't know right. if they ever do but they thank me for it like oh thank you for taking the extra step now it might I be I think like, they
0: call because sometimes they won't let me leave without it so <laughs> I, I, <was> gonna, <laughs> I hope they up. use it
2: so. I, I was going to say like maybe it's the same way like I think somebody when they hand me the skateboard that the patient was riding on you know down the hill you know, kind of a thing or like, oh yeah, this is the, <laughs> this is the skateboard they fell on. And I'm like, thank you. And then I, you know, go like, oh yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually need this, but yeah, <laughs> let's go on to the treatment. So we talked about Narcan, and I think everyone agrees like, yeah, that was a great idea. Give that a shot. See if that helped. Unfortunately it didn't. And the crew ended up having to intubate this patient. Now we all agree also that the intubation was necessary based on the conversation we had earlier, but w- what are your thoughts about the intubation with that low SPO2 saturation of like 88 to 90?
0: Yeah, so uh, intubating with low saturations isn't necessarily the best. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on with this person in terms of their disease processes to why their saturations are necessarily low. But I am going to say like, this isn't meant as a criticism towards the crew, but maybe towards the system they're in. Um, I don't know if they have the proper tools to really pre-oxygenate this patient, especially without a peak valve. Um, so that being said, when it comes to intubation, um, pre-oxygenate, 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 pre-oxygenate. I can't stress that enough. And the main thing you want to do when you pre-oxygenate is we're not talking about getting their stats up. We are. That's a good indication that you're oxygenating correctly. But the real goal behind so much pre-oxygenation is actually to denitrogenate the lungs, right? So you have a 21 to 79% mix, 21% oxygen, 79% nitrogen, right? And that's going to sit in your lungs. Uh, nitrogen, not super helpful to the body. So... When uh, when we denitrogenate and it's nothing but O2 in there, you can actually a patient can actually be apneic for a substantial amount of time and still have decent oxygen saturations. In fact, in, in an adult person, uh, provided they have no other lung disease, um, particularly COVID, by the way, that's actually not good for this at all. But uh, provided they have no other lung disease, they have healthy lungs, they can uh, maintain oxygen saturations uh, above ninety percent. Uh, For eight minutes, completely apneic. So that is why it is so important, because the big danger to taking somebody and intubating them is uh, causing inadvertently causing an anoxic brain injury because we let their saturations drop. And it's a cliff, by the way. So when you get someone right at that 90 percent, by the way, it's not like eight minutes to 90 percent and they slowly drop below you get to 90% and then you'll go from like 90 down to dirt within like the next three minutes. So you have eight minutes till 90% and then it just drops off. And then it's a plummet. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, and, and then it's an absolute plummet. So if we're not denitrogenating the lungs and we're just, you know, like you get them up to 96% or a hundred percent and they're like, All right, I'm going to go now. We just got to a hundred percent. You're going to see a plummet because the lungs, even though the saturations are high, Uh, the lungs still have mostly nitrogen in there. So once the oxygen that's in there is burnt up and used, the saturations are going to drop. So that is why we want to pre-oxygenate, uh, like champs before we innovate. And you're going to do that with a peep valve and a good bag, uh, bag valve mask, uh, seal on the patient. That's how, that's how you
2: do it. And so they didn't have a peep valve. They had a, they had one person doing BVMing with high flow O2. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's what I would say there. Uh, I know that rock felt like they like, they're like, Hey, we had a good seal with that. You know what? Add another person on there. See if you can get a better seal. Uh, Like, you know what? Sats are bad. Fuck it. Get another person on there. It's like, Hey, I'm not saying you're doing a bad job BVMing. I'm just seeing if we can do a better one with another person.
0: Oh yeah. Two people BVMing is, is is the case. One person on that mask, one person squeezing.
2: And, uh, always forgotten, but always fun to place, uh, in other people, not myself, NPAs, <laughs> NPAs are a really good tool there that might like, they, they do work. It's nuts how yeah. much, like how functional they are. Uh, and I think this would have been a good case for NPAs to try and just to try and boost those stats up. Like you said, Chris, this, this is a really good point. Yeah. Um, we brought up early like our rapid sequence intubation versus like ketamine only intubation and and here's some of the thoughts that i had like again their thoughts were like hey let's try and avoid sucks because sucks is kind of a dirty drug um again ketamine preserves (laughs) respirations um and and you know and honestly like that might be helpful in some cases maybe we've definitely reviewed calls where like the ludwig's angina call uh where the the doctor was like oh fuck yeah we're just using ketamine because like i need to see shit move in their air way yeah that that totally makes sense um and you know like the don't paralyze if you don't have to that lesson from paramedic school like that that's still i think a good lesson but really like the point of rsi is the paralytic the, the purpose of the paralytic is really just preventing the gag reflex from being like triggered when you're intubating because we don't know what this person ate last and you don't want whatever they ate last to go into their lungs and like melt their lungs um yeah, yeah. so it's it, nice. yeah it's so this is one of those things where it's like, we use it because it's better safe than sorry. And, you know, like we don't want to paralyze a patient and not breathe for them. Like, like totally get that. But like, I don't know. I, I've never paralyzed somebody and then like not gotten the tube and been like, well, I guess I'll, I don't need an airway anymore. Like, we'll just let this go off and, uh, right. you know, we'll, ro- we'll roll in with this. No, I've always been like, okay, uh, plan a didn't work well. Let's go to plan B. And then, you know, last is, you know, plan C crike. Um, right to TNB establish an like, a, like an SGA, yeah.
0: like a king or
2: an LMA exactly. or something. Yeah, like that. Uh, something different, something other than the same shit I'm doing over right. and over again, hoping for a different result. Yeah. Um. So that's sort of where I'm like, I get the idea. I'm just concerned with that sort of like that would be the thought process that I've like con- that would concern me. So, what do you guys think is going on with this patient? I, I have my ideas, but I'd really like to hear yeah. what you guys think.
0: I, I Well, me too. Like, I have ideas, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, huh. It, it is kind of hard because, like, I, I mean, I think we kind of know, you know, like, the physiological state the patient's in now. or We don't know, but, like, I have some good, you know, suspicions of the physiological state the patient is in now in terms of, I, you know, I believe that they're acidotic. I believe that they are hypoxic likely due to this acidosis. Um, you know, and, and I, I really feel that that has a lot to do with it, but like what got them there in the first place, you know, there's a lot of different things. I think at some point, we had something that impacted the patient's ability to breathe and therefore ventilate and therefore breathe off CO2 and therefore become acidotic. And I think we have a few candidates of like what caused that state. And I think, you know, I don't think this crew was unreasonable at all to think that uh, a potential narcotics overdose, you know? Yeah. Uh, Because I believe we started out with some pinpoint pupils. And so I think, you know, yeah, Narcan is totally warranted. You have someone who has some possibly depressed breathing. We have a report of falling SAO2. I mean, it's a mystery on what it fell to, which that would, That would be super interesting to know but we're not going Mm -hmm. to know along with the past medical history of this patient we're not going to know that either um but (laughs) you know like it's uh but again yeah like to kind of know like what caused that i think is kind of where we're at and so narcotics overdose is certainly something to consider they tried narcan and it didn't do any good now i will say this narcotics overdose is still possible. It's entirely plausible that the patient was unfortunately apneic for long enough due to narcotics overdose that hey, you gave Narcan to flush out the receptors of a dead brain and they're just not coming back. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that that that's a possibility. It could just be like, yeah, I mean you gave Narcan, but I mean like to to save what? You know, like that it could just mm-hmm. be that they've been hypoxic too long. That is on the table. Um but it doesn't matter, I guess at this point, because you've done what you can do to, to fix that. And mm, here yeah. you are. Uh, the other possibility would be, uh, I mean, I guess a possible CVA, like when we're talking about the possible biots breathing. What do you think about that?
2: Uh, actually, I, I, you brought it up earlier and I can't stop thinking about it. Um, you, you said, hey, you know, like there are the potential for, you know, like clots to form with the healing wound, um, right. you know, the healing surgery and yeah. and, you know, travel abroad, you know, go see the world. Do the tour. Um, <laughs> yeah. Break an arm and then end yeah. up in a rehab facility. But yeah, it's, uh, and yeah. And then, you know, and then the clot travels around and it sees the body and then it goes like, you know what? I'm going to make, a, I'm going to make a residence here in the brain. This is where I live now in oh. this vessel blocking. I'm sorry.
0: I totally missed your joke. Is a traveling <laughs> clot around the world of the body. No, it's, um, it's still it's funny. It's far buddy. better than, we're still good. Far
2: better <laughs> Far better than like. All right, let's go see the world. Now you're going to go see a rehab.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know. I thought you were talking about the patient. I'm like, why is the patient seeing the world? Where did this come in? Like, I don't remember this part of the history. Yeah. We don't know if she's a C O P D. Like, shit. We know she went to France last
2: week. World traveler. <laughs> like, that's um, sweet. Yeah. No. So I think I think stroke is actually the most likely and and really like with the sort of abnormal breathing pattern that they described. Um, and that was one thing that kind of moved me a little bit away from um, this being like a narcotics overdose was I believe the respiratory rate was about like 15 a minute. You know, when they first walked up, they described it as sort of normal, shallow, not really unusual. It just became unusual as the call progressed. OK, yeah. Um, yeah. You know? OK. And and so that's where I'm like, yeah, like what does that? a stroke would actually make a lot of sense to do that um and that could explain like the you know if it's in the right spot you know and messing with those respiratory centers like that eh, that could be a serious right serious thing so it really could um, yeah so i i think stroke is the most likely were there others that you were considering
0: uh yeah not not entirely i mean the problem is is like we can really swing at almost anything, you know I mean? Stroke, stroke is on there. I mean, is head trauma on there? Um, it could be, I mean, honestly, like sepsis is a candidate. Also, when we're talking about biots breathing, there are other encephalopathies that can cause increasing inter- intercranial pressure that can then lead oh, to biots sure. breathing as well, you know? Like, yeah. and so it almost like, <laughs> so I guess to answer the question, what do I think it is? It's a bit of a crapshoot. <laughs> and like that, that's kind of, that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, and I hate saying this on this show because you and I are both such nerds. This is not a satisfactory answer or a satisfactory yeah. thing to say, but here's kind of what it boils down to. Unfortunately, by the time they got to this patient, exactly what caused it, I I, I don't know how you're going to change your care. You know what I mean? Or how sure. about this? Oh, yeah. I don't know what piece of evidence you could find that would make you say, activate a stroke team or um well that's it i guess activate a stroke team like i don't know what else you would be able to add in sure. you know what i mean like uh, hey i think the patient has a stroke because the breathing's funny they'd be like oh, okay um you know <laughs> but yeah they'd be like uh, i guess like did they complete a stroke scale oh no and then they're not going to be able to like you know you don't have
2: anything to really Add in, yeah. So, I, I mean, on, on the plus side, if you show up and you're like altered mental status, we tube them. They're probably going to go to CT anyway. Oh, yeah. like you know, yeah. So it's it's really kind of a, you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Again, it's not going to change it. Like whether you <laughs> yeah. say it or not, like nothing really yeah. big uh, is going to change. Like I can tell you, like uh, blood work's going to be done. They're going to be looking at lactate and white blood cell count and those things, um, and probably PCO two. Um, but yeah, it's probably, uh, yeah. yeah. They well, I mean. They they should. Um, I hope <laughs> so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's going to be one of those things where we look at this and we're going to see uh, a lot of um, diagnostic stuff being done. That's going to include all the possibilities because we don't have enough history to yeah. really go one way or
2: the other. Yeah. And and I think to your point, like this this is probably one of those where, you know, like if I were if I were at the point where I'm already in the ambulance, I don't have anything that like there isn't much uh, I like there isn't I don't think any diagnosis that i have like i could think of that would like you said drastically change the care that i would be providing it would be like hey we need to manage this person's airway um and uh, address the end title oxygenation problem that we have right so very true i I mean that would be really (laughs) like that's sort of it it becomes irrelevant at at a certain point when you're like well i don't know what it is but this you know like this should be addressed yeah so let's talk about that that end title Bizarreness. Okay,
0: yeah. So, I I have to kind of explain that little monitor. I have to, and I kind of have my knowledge of how it works. And there is something about this. Which I, I will say kind of tugs me in the direction that this thing is broken. Now I know, and don't get me wrong, like that dip into 70 makes me believe that the thing was working. Um, but there's kind of this thing that's going on that nags at me a little bit. And that is this. So when you're looking at your entitled CO2 monitor, they usually typically have a waveform. Uh, though this is not always true. There are hospitals that do carry these where you literally have like an analog readout, like an old school like watch, or if you remember, mm-hmm. like, tiger handheld games anyway um (laughs) if you remember that you can comment hashtag i remember that or I i remember tiger anyway there you go yeah uh tiger handheld games anyway so uh anyway right uh that aside yeah it just has a number but so basically what it is is you'll see a waveform okay and that waveform comes up and it peaks And then it goes down to typically goes down to to zero and then peaks. Well, that peaking is them exhaling because as they exhale, they blow CO2 through the sensor. Okay, and the sensor is just, you know, another it just goes in between. It just goes on the end of the uh, ET tube and it goes between the ET tube and whatever your ventilation device is, Uh, you know, be it, you know, BVM ventilator or your mouth, um, which don't do that. Um, (laughs) The snorkel method of ventilation is not. Most of those things, the way they work, the one you're probably used to seeing, uh, it constantly pulls gas in and measures the gas. It doesn't just get triggered when you exhale. So it's constantly sampling gas. So if you're not exhaling, there's just simply no CO2 in the gas that it's sampling. That's why, um, why Nicole's suggestion earlier of just, hey, disconnect the thing and to see if it's working, because it should go back to zero, is genius, yeah. because it'll sit there and sample the air, and the air will not have enough CO2 concentration in it to make it do anything. So, when the person is exhaling through there, air is going through it one direction, it gets a sample. When they inhale, the air that's going that's passing through it isn't coming from the patient's lungs, it's coming from a BVM or a ventilator, or your mouth. I'm just kidding, not your mouth. Do not do that. <laughs> but it's coming from a BVM or a ventilator, and so I have this burning question, Why was the waveform solid if on the inhalation phase that air is not coming from the patient's lungs? And the only way air in the patient's airway could possibly pass through the sensor would be uh, to go against a pressure gradient, which it isn't going to do. And that's the part that bothers me. I think I have some answers, but I kind of like, did you get the same thought
2: on that? Like. You know, initially I didn't, but that's because I don't have an appreciation for like the mechanical aspects of this, um, as, <laughs> as well. So like, as you say this, I'm going like, ah, shit, like that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, um, does that, uh, function? yeah, I mean, I, I mean, so there, there's a couple explanations I think that could possibly explain like why it's all gold. Like if it's legitimately all solid right. gold, either the, like, so I, There's the numeric value, right? That gets printed off on the side of the screen. That's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, this is the whatever mean amount of CO2 or, you know, whatever, um, that's, that's being exhaled, or, et cetera. But then that waveform, that also actually has a different, like that has a different scale to it. So you can have a number that like the monitor can go up to 99, but the scale on the side might only go up to like 40 or 45 right. or 60, you sure. know, range from zero to 60. Yeah, um, And some can go to like zero to 90 and you can, I guess in some monitors, you can alter that. So it's possible, like maybe the, um, that the range got inadvertently adjusted on theirs to where it's like right. you can see between zero and ten, and on the waveform, never... on the waveform, exactly on the waveform, gotcha. and they just never got below that. Yeah. Um. But the, I mean, the, the, the that could explain why it'd be solid gold. But again, I it, I think you're right. It should still return to zero. Well, so there are some. So here's kind of my thoughts uh, on yeah. why on why it wouldn't
0: return to zero. And my my initial thought was this is that well maybe the ambient air is so saturated and then I'm like no that wouldn't make a I mean I guess that could be like you could have a fraction of CO2 that is essentially being exhaled and kind of hanging in that dead space just beyond the CO2 reader so then when you're Mm. ventilating back in again you're pushing the CO2 back through and so you'll maybe get a lesser value but again like we said earlier if you're going from 130 to 100 and 99's your top well you're never going to see that dip Um, but I, I don't know I do not know how likely that would be. I I have no fucking idea. But here's my other thought too. And this is like, I mean, it it could be. So here's, uh, here's a couple. There are scenarios where a perfectly fine reading waveform will not go back down to zero. And that's basically when you're not allowing... Uh, Exhalation and inhalation phases uh, to complete. So, in other words, they're at an exhalation phase, and you are inhaling before it's completely exhaled. So, you'll still see a massive dip. I mean, you'll still see that. That I mean, it'll be making its way as hard as it can towards zero. But then the patient's exhaling again before all the CO two is washed away from the sensor, and so you'll get these non-return to baselines. Okay, and and that's kind of a way that you can actually tell, like, oh, you know, I'm not allowing for a full exhalation. And that yeah. that has kind of led my brain down another rabbit hole. And that is this um, one of the things that can happen. So we talk about if you have high end CO2, you want to increase respiratory rate to drive it down because you breathe off the CO2 that lowers the PCO2 in the blood. So there's less CO2 coming out through the lungs. And eventually you'll see that number go down. That will also impact the pH of the blood in, in, in a manner that we need it to be impacted. Um, so that's that's what you do. But if you bag so fast and this can happen, we actually we see this is actually a common vent scenario when you're learning vents. It's usually a pediatric scenario, but it's a common vent scenario where you have a patient who has high end title and a high vent set respiratory rate. What happens, though, is that we're not allowing the exhalation phase to complete before another breath is being provided. So even though the rate is high, the expired volume isn't what it needs to be. And we're not actually blowing off CO2. And so you can actually start seeing CO2 rise. So, Spence, what I don't wonder, I know they said they begged at 10 to 12 a minute. and. You know, like I, I am by no means am I assuming dishonesty on the person that gave us this call. And by the way, we are very grateful for everyone who submits a call. But uh, our memories are fallible. I mean, everybody's is yours. is It's sure. mine is uh, Nicole's is fine, but ours sucks. And so <laughs> and so anyway, um, there's that. So, yeah, it's uh, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, when you ask like, well, what did you ventilate the patient? And they responded with 10 to 12. That's what we should ventilate most patients at, except for hypercarbic patients, by the way. You shouldn't be ventilating yeah. it at 10 to 12. You should be ventilating it much faster. Um, but I wonder, did we bag them at 10 to 12? And, sure. you know, and, and, and uh, did we? Because if we, if we did the thing where we're like, fuck, you know, like this patient's doing bad and we bagged really, really fast. Is it entirely possible that, Oh yeah. Th- that basically it was never allowed to return the baseline. And that's why okay. the waveform never dipped is because we weren't letting full mm. exhalation phases uh, occur before we were starting our inhalation
2: phase. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's a, I, I guess i see that as a possibility like if the patient were severely hypoxic because that's one of the like that is a guy even knowing better i still have this moment where i'm like oh sets are dropping i need to bag more and faster like that is just an first inclination Mm -hmm. um it's wrong yeah uh, because that's not that's not going to help right but um you know what you need is either more oxygen or peep um <laughs> for oxygenation, I my, right? i love that my voice cracked right there that's yeah yeah i'm yeah, not, I'm not gonna fix best. it for you either so <laughs> no i love it yeah, i wanted it in there yeah yep. <laughs> <laughs> um so i it's i i think that's you know that that it's definitely a possibility uh, on the spectrum of of possible things uh <laughs> that you know like they they responded uh That they responded, you know, like as one does uh, improperly to you know the patient's falling sats, and they bagged faster. Right. Um. It would just it would that wasn't the case for like the first five minutes of the trip where they were reporting this this gold you know stuff and still having the the patient oxygenated. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Uh, So I I don't know. I mean, I mean, other possibilities are like. There were little clefts. They just didn't mm-hmm. go down, and they didn't get reported. Um, you know, you know, or it just didn't seem like it mattered that there were little clefts, just because they weren't going back down to pit to baseline in that mm-hmm. waveform. You know, indicating that there was an inhalation phase. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean. It, and like you, or it could be like you said that the monitor is just broken. It, it absolutely could be broken.
0: Okay, and here's the thing: this thing 100% needs to be turned in. Turn it in. You tried switching out the title CO2 monitor itself. You need to turn this monitor in if you suspect it's that broken. For fuck's sake, turn it in. And it really could be. But the problem is, is this patient? Everything this patient's going through makes sense for those values. You know what I mean?
2: yeah that's i mean that's the big struggle i have and sort of why i am like man like this what happened just makes sense given like for a patient with a high end CO2 value. I mean, um, I, yeah,
0: I would almost say like, even if you took the end CO2 value away and you just said, uh, we don't know what it is. I would be like, well, this patient, this patient's probably hypercarbic, you know, based on everything we've talked about so far, there are so many other clinical indicators that the patient's hypercarbic. Actually, I don't know what I would have jumped to that conclusion immediately without seeing, without knowing about yeah, but that. But I
2: don't, I mean, I don't like, Pretty much. Need, <laughs> I need the end CO2 to tell me, but like, yeah, I, yeah. But like I would, I would expect that if I treated the these things that I would, like, if I, you know, mm-hmm. hyperventilated the patient, used PEEP, uh, we would see the patient improve right. drastically. Um, right. So here's a question for you guys. The, was there a point where maybe they should have considered, like, contacting, like, online medical control um and it's going like, hey, we have this problem where, like, we have intubated this patient and their sats are falling despite everything. We have this really weird end title that's not giving waveform. Like, hello, doctor, help me. What do right. you want us to do? Um, ah. do you think that would have been a, a good option to pursue here?
0: Honestly, like, kind of after talking to Nicole, I think, uh, yeah, because I think it could have provided perspective on that end title. Because I can tell you, like, had I not received and I'm okay admitting this, like, had I not had this call sent to us by a listener, I'd have been in the same boat. Like, these values are whack. Once I saw it drop down to 70, I'd have been like, okay, maybe it is. Maybe it is real. But um, I admit, like, I just didn't have that perspective. And knowing that perspective's out there, I think OLMC would have helped um, in this case. I think the hard part is... You don't know what you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how would you know to conduct OLMC? Like me, I don't even know if I would know to conduct OLMC. I'd be like, well, that's clearly broken. And, yeah. you know, I had that, uh, like, I don't know why their stats are dropping. And if I call, you know, a doc and I just say, you know, hey, my, uh, I probably wouldn't think to call a doc because I'd be like, oh, well, the stats are, the stats are broken. The only thing I can really do for that is, or the stats are bad. The only thing I can really do for that is add a peep valve, which I don't have. Um, yeah. I've checked my tube placement because if I just tell a doctor, you know, hey, my, the sats are really bad. What should I do? Was the tube in place? I think. But we might pull yeah. It. Is it. Yeah. I, I don't know what, you know, like they don't have much of a perspective. But yeah, I think where OMC would have made an impact is mm-hmm. when questioning that end title. Yeah. Calling up and being like, hey, Doc, we have an end title that says this. Is that even realistic? And then yeah. Doc's saying like, yeah, I mean, it. it, it could be. Then I'd be like, oh, okay. And I think that would have been where yeah. OOMC could have helped.
2: My general sort of like gut rule with like contacting online medical control is like, if I'm, if we're drowning in a call, you know, and everyone's been there, we're like, this is going fucking terrible. Like right. I cannot, I don't know. And here's the thing. Like if I know what those solutions are to fix that. Then I'm like, we need to pursue those solutions. But if I'm, if things are going bad and I don't know why or how or like there is some kind of, like I'm like, there is something I am missing mm-hmm. here. There's a piece of the puzzle that I need help. Like that m- maybe somebody else might make clear. So I know what actions to take. Um, because there's nothing worse than like you think you're doing the right things and all the things are going bad and you have no idea of like which direction you should go to try and fix those things. That is a great time to contact online medical control and be like, Hey doctor, this is what's going on. We're trying these things and they have not worked. What else is there? Like, what are we missing? And then have the doctor, you know, hear the case and hear the end title value and go like, Oh, Oh fuck breathe faster. Like, you know, like yeah. that could have been that, that might be a good solution there. So like if you're drowning, but you don't know like the direction to shore, um, that that's a great time to contact online medical control and be like, hey, which way to, uh, which way to the beach? Yeah. There's a no, lounge perfect. chair and a whale waiting for <laughs> me there, and I would like to get there. In beach chair position.
0: At, at
1: EMT with a pillow. <laughs>
0: <Exactly>. <laughs> beach chair position. We've covered so many great things in this episode, and I think, I think we have, like, some, some new, like, running jokes
2: now from this, including the pillow. Like, that's oh, the new. Oh, no,
0: That could be a new merch product.
2: At the end of 20- <laughs> Just a paramedic holding a pillow and approaching yeah. you. Why is yeah, the pillowcase
0: just a plastic bag? I don't. <laughs> it's terrible. That
2: is awful. Uh, all right, really quick. So, we don't, I know we
0: have a lot of basic life support listeners out there. So, if you are in this situation and you're on a BLS truck, because there are systems where you can be a 911 system and you've got BLS providers, that's what you're going to roll with. Uh, some services have IN Narcan, interdisciplinary Narcan, and that's within the EMT scope. And that would be totally applicable here. Like I said, it, like we, like we've all said, it's. Not really what's going on with the patient, but it was certainly indicated given the pupils. Um, yeah, and it's perfect. It's a perfect idea for this patient. Airway and breathing on this patient, though, however, do end up becoming the focus. So use the tips we discussed for pre-oxygenating the patient, and then transport them code three to an intercept, or take them all the way in if that's going to be you know quicker than your than your intercept. Um, and then if SGAs are within your scope. That's also something you consider, but also be aware that this patient's probably going to have a gag reflex, etc., etc. But they may crump before then. So consider an SGA if you end up with a uh, coded uh, patient. So yeah. that is about it. Anything else before we uh, before we summarize all the learning points and and uh, awkwardly? No. All Let's right. do it. <laughs> So, here we go. Uh, so, to summarize, remember, end CO2 is important not just in confirming the tube. It helps us control the patient's pH because CO2 plays a big role in regulating body pH. Too much CO2 uh, is going to equal an increase in acid, and that is, uh, that is a problem. It can acutely impact your patients and cause organs to fail. If you have a patient with a really high CO2 value, they probably should be ventilated at a rate and or volume, which lowers that value, which is generally going to be... Uh, an increase. And also remember, false highs on an entitled CO2, uh, isn't really something that will happen. False negatives? Sure. But a false high? Not so much. Uh, history is important, especially with this particular patient and can really be helpful in guiding treatment. We talked about this, uh, it really played a role in almost every step we talked about. It's particularly like, is this patient like a chronic CO2, uh, retainer and those kind of things? Um, Nicole brought up that amazing point that I just, I I have to land here. And that is like, just disconnect the thing and see what the reading comes out to. Cause it should drop yeah. to zero if you disconnect it. And like that right away, you know, would have been, would have been very telling. And, um, I'm yeah. almost disappointed in myself that I didn't think of that. Cause normally I consider, but like, I am a good, like equipment troubleshooter, but that uh, but you know what, that's why we brought in a call. Well,
2: so, there <laughs> I was interviewing this person and it never even occurred to me until now. And so I, yeah, perfect <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm there with you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think other things, uh, you know, uh, contact online medical control. If you feel like you're drowning and you don't know which way to go. And very if you true. think your equipment is fucked, you like have somebody look at it, pull it aside, pull it out, yeah. make sure that it gets reported so that, you know, like it doesn't happen to somebody else because it's very possible that this could just be like the monitor being broken. I, it, it, We can't rule that out. So that remains on the realm of possibility. Or call um, your equipment rep
0: like Nicole suggested, which is amazing.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. great idea. Especially um, if you're a soup. Yeah, I, I want to thank Rock so much for submitting this call. This was an incredible call to review. Um, and uh, yeah, like the, there's a, this is a really good case to bring up because it's so, it's a left field case that, you know, as Chris said, like it it's very uncomfortable to be like, mm-hmm. is this real? Like, is this. Right.
0: And it's one I think we could all see ourselves in. You know, yeah. it's one that yeah. we could all kind of be like questioning things like, I don't know, is the thing yeah. just broken? And so that was good. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nicole, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and absolutely helping us out with this call. Your perspective is absolutely invaluable. And uh, if you want to uh, come on the show again, all you have to do is say, hey, that was fun. Let's do it again. And uh, and you'll be on. So that's that. That's, uh, that's easy because it was, uh, it was amazing <laughs> to have you and, uh, it was only a positive. So thank you so much for, uh, coming out and, uh, and doing this with us today. It was awesome. So well,
1: I'm just, it was a bunch of fun for me personally. And I just want to say thank you to you both, Chris and Spence, um, and the listeners out there, uh, for, you know, allowing me to be in this platform. And I just t- totally appreciate it. And I had a, Ton of fun.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it's always fun. So, uh, with that, make sure you guys check out the Found Down podcast and uh, go ahead and give Nicole's podcast a listen. It is amazing. She interviews a new healthcare provider uh, just about every week. There's RNs, RTs, docs, paramedics, flight paramedic, actually. Uh, but uh, it's me. Uh, anyway, uh, a flight nurse as well, and all kinds of different perspectives from around the healthcare field is on the Found Down podcast. And uh, you should go check it out. As always, please check out RDNCME.com. That's where you can get free continuing education just for listening to EMS 2020. And like I said at the beginning of the show, the NREMT has lifted uh, their restrictions on how many hours can be online. They can all be online now. So uh, yeah, if you like to pay nothing for all of your continuing education hours then go to GuardianCMB.com. That's uh, a great place to pay nothing for CE and get actual good CE on top of that. As always, if you want to support the show, please check out our uh, Public store. It's where we sell all of our merch. That money goes directly to us and does a great job of supporting us. Follow us on social media. We are EMS2020, 20 slash 20 on Facebook and EMS2020 show on Instagram. Each episode gets its own post so you can interact with us uh, there. And with that, Spence, do you have an awkward ending today? Hey, Chris. Hey, Spence! Knock, 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 knock. Show's over. <laughs> who's, there? Yeah, who, uh, who's there? Yeah, who's there?
2: Who's there? Who's there? Awkward. Awkward. Who? <laughs> Awkward. a fuck! Ending. There yeah.
0: it is. <laughs> oh gosh! Thank you, everybody. We will see you next week.